crime in me. I've diagnosed some people. I think it's been pretty accurate. Definitely done my fair share of psychiatry work. I've prescribed a few pills, you know. Crime in me. responsible for the things that come out of our mouths. We are not experts, although we may claim to be, so don't take anything that we say too literally. We are not laughing at the crimes, we are laughing at each, each other. other. <laughs> okay, hi everyone. <laughs> Welcome! It's crime time! Woo! Who has had a crazy week with all this... Uh, ap- apocalyptic weather and <laughs> fires and plagues and everything. Oh, uh, yeah, the plague. Yeah. That's still going on. Don't forget about the plague. Fuck. <laughs> I know. It's apocalyptic. I was just telling you how at my work we can't eat inside. We can't eat outside. The air quality is like 200 AQI, which is toxic for your lungs. So let's just go Look, burn our just... lungs out and then go back in and try and catch corona Yay! They're just looking out for your weight. They want you to be like lose weight so that the corona doesn't hit you as hard oh, when it hits you. That's their way of being like, mm, I'm not going to say anything, but you've been looking a little pudgy lately. So, so. let's cut out lunch altogether. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, work. Always looking out for my waistline. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> uh, can't afford to eat and I don't have time to eat, Literally, so I'm looking good. Like, um, should smoke be coming into the building? Is that okay? Should I be blowing out smoke when I'm not even smoking anything? Man, I seriously, I feel like I've been smoking 10 packs of cigarettes a day. Yes. Well, the world is ending, especially here on the West Coast. So I don't know. They've got like fun. that hurricane thing down there on the Louisiana area, south the South Coast. Coast. <laughs> got the fucking. Uh, I think there's uh, fires in Australia again. I think. There's look, I've been shit reading, everywhere. and it said like the next thing to hit is going to be like a giant earthquake. So that's going to be fun. Oh yeah, I'm right in the epicenter of like three different fault lines. Yeah. <laughs> hey, mm. I got my go bag ready. <laughs> you got to. Yeah, actually. Earthquake preparedness. That's one thing I'm like, I'm kind of glad that I have this job working at a sporting goods place because they have all the camping shit. So I've been buying the like the pellets <laughs> to put in your water to purify it and like yeah. some freeze dried food. And you know what? I better find that life straw and put that somewhere. Seriously. Aside. Get your go well, bag. Well, we talked about it. We were like, what hap- Like, what would you do if something like that happens? What would you grab? And I was like, I'd grab Toby if I can find him. And that's basically, that's like it. I just grab Toby and then yeah. run. Yeah. Because what else are you going to get? No, an- animals first. Ze- Zephyr and Simon yeah. are my first priority. But I have a bunch of, you know, I have my little like lock box in my go bag too that has like my all my important documents and shit. Oh yeah, yeah. shit like that. Ooh. Anyway. Ew. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I don't want to think about that anymore. It's not like there's anywhere to right, go when you get your go bag. Moida. Yeah, no. Yeah, let's, let's talk about something. Let's move on to happier. Yeah, cheerful, happy <laughs> things like murder and mayhem. <laughs> Later. Some bloodletting. Okay. All right. So gross. Anyway. <laughs> So last week was like a lot of information. Oh, wait, you know what we forgot to say? What? 
We're your hosts, Matt oh. <laughs> and Angela. We're just going. And we're right here to hop right on the crime any train and tell you some fucked up shit. Buckle up. Cute. <laughs> choo choo. Toot toot. What do you say? Choo choo toot toot. Here we go. <laughs> I don't know what a train sounds like. <laughs> toot toot. <laughs> Oh no, we've been trapped in, you've been trapped okay. in your house far too long. You don't know what a train sounds like. I yeah, as an introvert, I thought that I would handle this a lot better than I am. <laughs> well, here we go. So Angela's got some cliffs notes from last week since it was all a lot I'm gonna of I'm going to try and go through yeah, and we should have stopped like Way before. we should have stopped earlier on, but we didn't. So <laughs> uh just a quick recap. Uh the story started there are two dead real estate agents in the Philippines. Both women were killed by two different sets of foreigners Mm, to the Philippines. One of those sets of guys, they were from the east coast of the United States. They were hired by a man named Hunter. The mastermind. Hunter, who was hired by by the mastermind. mastermind. Ah. Yeah, so Hunter was working for Paul LaRue, the mastermind. Oh, right, right, right. Paul LaRue. And he was, like, working for him, and then he was, like, too much of a hothead. So this guy named Charles... Uh, heck, what's his name? <laughs> Is it even Charles? <laughs> Hold on. Uh, he was hired by this other dude. Hunter. Hunter was hired by this other dude? Hunter... Oh, sorry. Hunter was fired by this other guy because he was too much of a hothead. And then that guy ended up dead. Right. Charles. Oh, shit. No. Sorry. Um, That guy ended up dead and then Hunter was rehired. So then the other story that was happening was a man named Oz was in Israel. He got a job at a call center. Right. Uh, he was hired by a friend's brother, and then the two guys who were running the call center were fired, and LaRue was like, I'm your boss now, bitch. Right. And then he moved Oz and this other guy, Berkman, to the Philippines to run their own call center. Uh, and then that all fell through, and they all got fired, basically. And then uh, before that happened, <laughs> Oz was like shot at. By some people who were like, you're stealing from Paul oh, right. or whatever. In the water. Uh-huh. In the water. Um, and then on the other side of the business was the guy who was running the pharmacy oh, right. named Charles Schultz. And he was like working for Alphanet or one of the like millions yep. of pharmacy websites. Uh, and then he accidentally sold to DEA agents. So they were like, uh oh. Right. You're not supposed to be doing that. So then he was going to get into trouble. And then <laughs> then there was the ship, the Ufuk, <laughs> where uh, this guy named John Byrne was put in charge of sh- shipping, sailing a ship with a bunch of uh, guns on oh, it. Yeah. And then Byrne's like had to leave because his wife was super pregnant and they had a huge age gap which i don't love (laughs) and he ran off to the mountains like how unnecessarily (laughs) you happen to bring that in (laughs) well i mean is it really unnecessary i don't know so he ran off to the mountains and then he got a lawyer and his lawyer was like we're gonna work it out come down from the mountains he came down from the mountains and he was like i wasn't in charge of this my boss was actually paul 
LaRue. LaRue. And then Byrne gets gunned down after he's at lunch with a friend of his named John Nash. Oh, right. The guy on the motorcycle and his, killed him. Yeah. And then the wife runs to John Nash and then he like takes them to safety. And then later on, John Nash is murdered. Right. When he's driving down the street, and then he gets, like, closed off, and he gets Mm-mm. killed. Dave Smith was LaRue's number two, who fired Hunter, Hunter yeah. and then Smith ended up dead. And then, but they didn't find his body, so they don't really know what happens to and him. Then and then Hunter s- is rehired by LaRue. Yeah, to be his number, number two. two after he killed off his number two. Because uh, his number two is skimming off the top. Oh, so right, Smith okay. had been stealing from him, and he don't like that. No. So then... The Ufuk, they were, like, bringing in guns, and everyone died there. Then there was the Somalia thing, where they all went over to Somalia. Oh, yeah, to become pirates. The the most piratey pirates in all the land. No, they weren't pirates. They were a security firm who just happened to form a militia over there of their own. (laughs) So they had a militia, and they started wars and shit, and Somalia, and then, because Paul maybe wanted to invade the Maldives, we're not sure. Or he was just trying to pirate the pirates, we're not sure. And then he was also maybe growing weed over there and uh, cultivating, like, opium. Possibly. (laughs) Then and then he left there because he was being overcharged by $150 a month for his pirates. I mean, they're pirates. What do you expect? (laughs) Jeez. So then, after all this is happening, LaRue keeps disappearing and coming back, and he's getting more and more agitated, more and more upset. Soma is now illegal to sell over state lines, and that was like a third of their prescription drug company. And the DEA invaded the pharmacy, and they're on to him. Right? They've been trying to shut him down for years, and finally. So then he also shipped a bunch of cocaine from Peru, and then they were like, oh, since you did that, do you want to start this, like, meth deal with Colombians? Yeah, we'll trade you meth for coke, right. Yeah, yeah, we don't know how to do any of it, but please, like, help us set it up and we'll give you coke. LaRue, where we left off, LaRue went to Monrovia, which is the capital of Liberia, on September 25th. 2012. Then we talked about who he was. He was like this super introverted dude who was just obsessed with computers. He was from South Africa. Well, he was from Zimbabwe and then moved to South Africa. He was adopted. He didn't know he was adopted. He went to Australia and got married to an Australian woman and then he became an Australian citizen and then they got divorced because he was like super broke and other reasons because it sounds like he was a real asshole so yeah. that might have had something to do with Doesn't it. Doesn't sound like then he, he, started... he plays well with others. <laughs> Not at all. And then he started his encryption software. Right, Remember the encryption cool. for the masses yeah. which was super cool and was free so then he didn't make any money so it wasn't super cool, cool for, for him. him. Cool for everyone else. <laughs> yeah but for everyone else. Okay so where we left off he uh, started his company to try and monetize Ephraim. Right. So he started his SW Professionals in 2000 in South Africa, but he was like hardly ever there. So if that wasn't a confusing <laughs> recap. <laughs> it's just a lot of players so, in this game. Yeah, a lot of players. So we're going to dive right back in. We're going to find some more players. Okay. Oh, no. So in, 2000, <laughs> in 2001... Mm-hmm. One of LaRue's clients, he was an Italian telecommunications engineer named Wilfried Hafner, which is the most Italian name I've ever heard. Yeah, uh, imposter. (laughs) (laughs) 
Cervezas, mm. not Italian. Okay. <laughs> I, not to judge, mm-hmm. but come on. <laughs> so he he was uh, corresponding with LaRue for like a bunch of years about Ephraim. Mm-hmm. Hafner had founded a company to create a commercial encryption product that would combine some of the elements from E4M with another piece of software called ScramDisk. So the new company would called Secure would be called SecureStar, and it created DriveCrypt. So Hafner hired Larue to build DriveCrypt's underlying engine. So he wanted to like combine a bunch of stuff and help basically help him monetize it, but for his own company. Hmm. So in 2002, in the middle of the development work for DriveCrypt, he discovered that LaRue was still working on E4M and had incorporated some of his work for SecureStar into his personal project. I mean... So he didn't like that. You're, you're I know, working with I a pirate. What do you expect? Yeah. <laughs> well, this is before he was Did like a known pirate. Did you not see the pirate. skull and crossbones flag he was flying over his little... Well, I just feel like, <laughs> look, this guy clearly wants everyone to be able to encrypt shit. You hire him and you get mad at him for still working on his, like, other project. Like, just because you want to make money off of his brain. That's kind of fucked up, right? Yeah, but I mean, if you bought the rights to it or you're, like, I don't know. Well, he didn't. He just hired him to work for it. He didn't buy the rights to E4M. He was like, I just want to use some of that for my own shit, but I can't create well, it. Well, I, I mean, sometimes when you hire someone like that, they have, like, clauses and, like, a contract that's, like... While you're working for me, you're not allowed to put you this out. Any. You know, I know it's fucked up. So Hafner was like pissed, yeah, and he said that the the code, the source code that he personally funded, was like open source now, mm-hmm. and he didn't like it, and it can now be used by anyone to develop a new encryption project of their own. So he's not going to make money off like of it. it. So he confronted Larue, who said that he apologized and said it was all a mix-up. Mm-hmm. And Hafner said he was very humble, but the damage was done. So he fired him, ended his contract. And in the end, though, they reconciled, and then they stayed in touch for, like, a couple years after that. Hmm. So it wasn't that big of a deal. Around the same time, LaRue was working on a gaming engine for an online casino he intended to launch in Canada and Romania. Okay. <laughs> Hafner would later describe LaRue as not a marketer, which who is, <laughs> and that he didn't see how he could bring the gamers into play. So SW Professionals went out of business in October of 2002, and he began looking for work. Mm-hmm. Around this time, he also found out he was adopted, which was kind that's of so like... It, weird. Relatives that, that's of so his... Weird that- like, his parents never said anything. I feel like that's so wrong. Well, I mean, it was, like, what, like, the 70s or something or yeah, whatever. Yeah, but still. They probably thought, like, maybe he'd never find out and we don't want him to feel like he's not part of our family. I mean, I know. I know. Yeah, but yeah, I don't yeah. know. But apparently it, like, shattered his whole yeah. world. According to relatives, he was, like, really, like, messed up about it. Well, yeah, like, what else am I being lied to about? Maybe, but it's like, well, you can find it out now because you're, like, a fucking internet genius. But this was at a time when there weren't, like, not everyone was online all the time. Well, he certainly was. No, I know, but I'm saying, like, if he was trying to find information, information, yeah. Right. Not everyone is. Right. Not everyone. You couldn't. There was no Facebook. You know, like, there was no DNAncestry.com or whatever. It was all. Right. You know, AOL chat rooms and shit, but, like. <laughs> so in February of 2004, the first version of True Crypt was released by anonymous developers who called themselves the True Crypt team. 
and it was built on E4M code. So this is something like totally a new encryption software. Hmm. So the program combines security and convenience, giving the users the ability to strongly encrypt files or entire disk drives while continuing to work on those files as they would a regular file on their computer. Wow. So it's like you have like whatever files and then it's all encrypted. That's awesome. As its developers remained anonymous, some of LaRue's former SecureStar colleagues, including Hafner, suspected that he was involved, but they couldn't find any corroborating evidence. And the actual authors remain unknown. No one knows who created this true crypt. Hmm. And he denies that he was part of it, but people are like, it's pretty similar to what you were doing. (laughs) So Hafner sent a cease and desist letter to an email address associated with the TrueCrypt developers, Mm -hmm. arguing that the software was based on stolen code. And the developers did briefly stop additional development, but soon started up again. I mean, yeah, really, though, like you can't just have just one like everyone. I don't know how to say it, but like, you know, there's a million different soda brands, but someone had to have come up with it first you know it's not like well and it's like if these people are spending their time developing this just because you're not smart enough to develop it yourself and just because you're kind of pissed because you hired the wrong guy to develop it it's kind of like right they're trying to do it for everyone to have it for free like and you're gonna be like a real dick about it and be like well i own all the encryption software and they need to pay me if they want it capitalism like i know money is more yeah money is more important than anything human life. literally yeah yeah like we, we need to kill all these people that are going or against like the our... plant the life of the planet yeah. like okay yeah so true crypt became known as the most powerful and reliable encryption solution available wow. amazing stuff so around 2004 at the advice of a lawyer in costa rica larue abandoned his online gambling activities and launched several websites and call centers for the online sale of prescription drugs so now we're like okay. to, the to the prescription thing in yeah. his life okay. so to place an order on these sites customers would fill out questionnaires about their medical history and symptoms order their chosen medications, and pay by credit card. Mm -hmm. The questionnaires would get forwarded to doctors in the U.S. who would in turn write prescriptions for the drugs ordered, despite never having examined the patient in person. (laughs) Sounds legit. (laughs) uh, Yeah. The prescription, along with customers, would go to a pharmacy in the U.S., which would then ship the drugs. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you're already on a prescription, you just need to refill. It sounds, like, super legit. But if you're... So much easier and cheaper. I don't know. Well, and there are other things where it's like, I know this is wrong with me. I've had it before. You know, like just give me the when you call like an advice nurse. Well, yeah, no, like the number of times that I've gone to pick up my prescription and they're like, okay, just wait. Like there will be a a person to go over your prescription. I'm like, I've literally been on these for like (laughs) 20 years. I know how to do it. I'm good. Thank you. (laughs) Right, right. So, and then to be like, oh, I need a refill. I don't know. It's just whatever Mm. but so rx limited advertised its services through spam email (laughs) as messages pointing uh, to one particular website would quickly get blocked by spam filters rx limited would open up new sites so initially the new domains were purchased individually from domain sellers like godaddy until rx limited set it up its own domain seller ab systems allowing rx limited to spawn new domains on a much larger scale i mean shit this guy so they were selling pirate or not he's an entrepreneur (laughs) he's fucking smart so yeah so they were like it's like a domain seller but they're only creating for themselves limited (laughs) websites yeah yeah whatever and i mean i know it's probably cheaper. <laughs> yeah, well, clearly. And there's no late fees. So, You're just like, oh, right. We forgot to pay ourselves the fee to keep it open. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, this dude's super smart. So, by, I wish I could do that shit. <laughs> I know. Damn it. 
By 2007, LaRue had moved his family to Manila, operating out of a house in the upscale gated community of Dos Marinas. By the time he had been putting on a lot of weight, probably because he's just sitting in front of like a bunch of uh, computer screens. Well, let me tell you, have I got the solution for you. Work at a place where you can't eat inside because of the corona and you can't eat outside because of the smoke and you will just drop the pounds. So apparently he got up to 260 pounds. Ooh, that's a big boy. (laughs) Yeah. So his size could be imposing. Uh And many seem to view him as a stereotypical nerd, a doughy loner with an adept technical mind, but few social graces. Uh, Yeah. So like, yeah, yeah, sounds like an incel. Yeah. Except for he's not. He's like married and he has like a child and like, how does that work? I guess he's got money. Well, here's how it works. LaRue was not without charm particularly when it came to newly hired employees, to whom he projected an easygoing image of power and success. Uh He was the nicest guy when you first met him. He was receptive to suggestions and sent untested people into situations and responsibilities they never imagined. He was a charming guy. You're like, shit, this guy trusts me to do this stuff. Like, I guess he's going to be chill to work for. All right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, he's... He's, like, super open. They're like, hey, I just realized that maybe we could do better with this. And he's like, yeah, let's try it out. Mm. Would you like to go to a different country? I'll, like, set you up in a home and you can fucking run a pirate situation. Can you imagine? Just, like, get hired somewhere. (laughs) And he's like, do you want to go be a pirate team leader? Have you ever dreamed of living in Somalia or the Philippines? Well, I will set you up and... At, I've got the job for I you. I mean, shit, like with the cost of living out there, I, I can set you up in a mansion and you'll be in charge yeah. of like this sector. Like, sh- yeah. did I just also, die and go to I will heaven? pay for your living situation and I'll give you way more money than like, yeah, the cost of living. You, you can live like king so, and queen. Unless... It's crazy. Unless you're a Somalian militiaman, then I will not pay you more than your going rate, and I will get pissed when I am. Oh, so. yeah. I mean, geez. And then I'm abandoning it. <laughs> <laughs> so rude. Yeah, super legit. He was like, and I'm sure that's how he got his wives. He was probably super charming. Mm. And he was like, a, he was a good looking guy until he got like super chunky and then like pasty and shit from like never seeing the sun because he was just inside in front of monitors all the time. You know, some people are into pasty, chunky. But, like, classic sociopath, right? Like, super charming at first. And then, yeah. And then you get on his bad side and he's a fucking monster. Or not even. He just, like, flips the switch one day and you don't even know what's coming. Yikes. So the worst kind. There's no warning. Yeah, a narcissist. Mm -hmm. So as RX Limited earned hundreds of millions of dollars, LaRue's lifestyle changed in some ways but remained the same in others. He became known for bragging graphically to associates about his extramarital affairs. Wow. I mean, my wow is that he's getting these extramarital affairs, not that he's bragging. I I believe that. Right. Well, I'm thinking, like you said, like the money and the charm and, you know. But I mean, look at a, you should look at a picture of those guys and not. I mean, people are drawn to that, you know, money and, and high society life where it's like, wait, I don't have to, I don't have to work or do this. I can just like be with this person and be taken care of. Yeah. And he's charming and like. Yeah. 
what could go wrong? (laughs) 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 So he did live in expensive houses and exclusive areas, but he didn't live extravagantly. Hmm. So he's not really like, you know, it's not about the money necessarily. He's making like millions upon millions of dollars and he's just like, well, I like to live in a nice house, but... I don't need like six yachts or I don't want to compliment him, but it seems like he's like responsible about his money. He's not living beyond his means or like even within his well, means. He's just kind of like here's the thing about him though. He doesn't ever go right. anywhere. He, like, as so long what would as he, he be spending that money on? Well, as long as he has the, you know, the computer setup that he needs and Yeah. Like you said earlier, when wasn't it him that had like just the place with just the room full yeah. of servers and like a desk and servers and that, and that was I it. Mean, really, like, if you spend your life on the computer, you just need a fucking good computer or a Well, three. and it sounds it sounds like it's just about the game though. He's just like sitting from behind his computer, yeah. you know, playing with his little pawns. Right. He, why does he need extra money? You know, he can just, as long as he's in a nice house, like, that isn't, nothing else matters. That's kind of funny that, like, he tried to start a gaming thing. Yeah. And then that didn't work out. And then he's like, well, I'll just play with people. <laughs> yeah, right? You, I can't make them gamble away their money, so I'll make them gamble away their lives. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> So, by 2008, he was obsessed with security and holding a pocket full of identities like John Bernard Bolins or Johan William Smith or William Vaughn. I think it's Johan. Do you think Johan? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I asked you earlier if the J's were pronounced like J's or if they're pronounced like a Y. And you said you didn't know. I mean, no, that was... That well, was the I Philippines. don't know, but I'm assuming that no, Johan is way very... more like South African, right? <laughs> Johan. <laughs> oh, God. Such an idiot. <laughs> I hate this. I quit. I'm never doing like any of these out of the country ever again. I've already embarrassed myself enough. <laughs> Look, we're embarrassing ourselves all over the world with our horrible pronunciation of things. Johan. And if anyone... <laughs> Shit. Hopefully it's that's just like the comedy part of our podcast for people that are like, ugh, stupid Americans yeah. can't even pronounce our names properly I mean, that's or fine. places that I we live. It. I cannot. Okay. Oh, why didn't you correct me earlier? I said that like a million times already. Shit. Well, because at first I was like, maybe it's Johan, but then I was like, I don't know. She seems pretty confident in it. Maybe it's it is Johan, and it's some kind of other spelling. <laughs> If I ever appear confident, I am not. So correct me. (laughs) So his activities were spread across dozens of shell companies registered all over the world. He possessed a diplomatic passport from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. So that helped him avoid customs. I don't know how he got it. I mean, he probably made it up, right? He probably like forged it yeah. or whatever like people like this are so it. dangerous I mean, if, he that, if he has that kind yeah because i mean if he has that kind of money he could just pay someone that works at the consulate yeah. or whatever a ton of money to just print him like a fake one but yeah. it's legit you know like it's he didn't actually it's not actually like one that he got or he's like it's will scan he's and like so smart and just spends all his time like researching i'm sure he could figure out how to like forge one you know, like he probably could break into their like software about how their passports look or whatever. I don't fucking know. Man, I remember like there was like some guy amongst like friends of friends of what, you know, a guy that knows a guy right. that knows a guy that worked at the DMV that could get like legit 
um, driver's yeah. licenses that says that you're 21 and will scan and everything because it's a real license, but it's not actually your license. But they can like you just pay like 200 bucks or whatever to this one guy who what? can just like. Print I just it had for to you. borrow people's like fake ones that were real <laughs> that someone else bought from their like <laughs> sister's friend or whatever. I mean, I never had that. We just. Yeah, yeah no, mind. don't give mom, tips. Okay. Hey, disregard yeah, nope. this, mom. <laughs> it was not underage drinking. Never. Never. <laughs> okay. Sorry. So, LaRue made the pursuit of more money and more power an end in and of itself. That's all he wanted. So, here mm-hmm. is how like the it. DEA took him down. In the summer of 2007, an investigator in the DEA's Minneapolis-St. Paul office named Kim Brill was making undercover online purchases of fentamine, fentermine, mm-hmm. a prescription appetite suppressant with amphetamine-like effects. One of the... Sh- Which I'm, I think that's like most appetite suppressants. Yeah, it's like diet pill, eat meth. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> eat meth. <laughs> Brought to you by meth. <laughs> It'll also fuck up your face and your teeth, but at least you'll be skinny. Okay. But damn, will you see those bones. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, may cause psychosis. Okay. One of the shipments arrived from Alt-Gerald Garden Drugs, a pharmacy in the south side of Chicago. Brill and a partner obtained a warrant to search the store, and in the back they discovered FedEx boxes full of medications. The DEA got a warrant for FedEx's records and found that a single company was paying to ship those packages all around the country, and it was called RX Limited. Whoopsies. Should have gotten a couple of FedEx accounts. If you can get a fake Congo passport. I will say this. FedEx is fucking expensive. They're way overpriced for what they are. You don't want more than one account because then you're paying a shit ton of money all the time. That's why we need to keep our postal service. People fucking up our postal service. Fuck you, Trump. God damn it. I'm so angry about that. We rely on them and they're excellent. Well, he's just trying to cheat this election too. Not a surprise, really. Look, if you've ever tried to deal with FedEx or UPS, they fucking suck. Anyway, sorry, guys. If you're, I don't know. (laughs) But like, step but really, it up. you're like way overpriced. <laughs> like, you ship anything from overseas, you have to buy it a fucking plane ticket, and it's like on yep. business class. So, <laughs> fuck off. Yeah, yeah, more than you would be able to afford yourself to sit on an yes. airplane. <laughs> I yeah, we've bought tickets to fly and, and pick something up, which meals. is like cheaper than yeah. shipping something. <laughs> right. Okay, yeah, they don't get any fucking anything. Okay. Over the coming months and years, Brill, I could just, I could just imagine like planes flying over with like packages like with just a bunch of buckled into the seats. <laughs> yep. And, like the people, the flight attendants going down the aisle with like the drink cart, and, like what just would like you dusting like, off sir? a would little. You like some coffee, tea. <laughs> would you like a retape? We've got extra tape. Would you like to be retaped up? That'll be fifteen dollars per tape. <laughs> okay and Seriously, it's like oh the seatbelt sign is on please buckle your seatbelt it's a bit of turbulence excuse me sir <laughs> there's a bit of turbulence you need to leave the lavatory you need to put your seat back <laughs> all the way up <laughs> i know you're a big box and it can barely fit in the seat Do you need a seatbelt extender scoot up. <laughs> <laughs> okay so Aww, cute <laughs> over the coming months and years brill and her colleagues 
embarked on the painstaking work of building a case against RX Limited. The evidence they compiled would ultimately amount to millions of pages of documents. Where are they storing these? <laughs> so much. Okay. I mean, shit. One name came up repeatedly. Can you guess who? Paul LaRue. Yeah, I wanted you to guess. Uh, Paul LaRue? Yeah. Oh, you're right. Ding, ding, ding. Okay. It took Brill and her colleagues years to develop the evidence against him, um, establishing him as the kingpin behind the organization, with some of the connections so faint that he almost avoided detection altogether. Hmm. If he had gone the anonymous route a little bit earlier in the Enterprise, we would have no chance of figuring out who was really behind this. Oh, shit. It would have just taken too long to get past that first layer. What? He could have gotten away with it all. If what he the fuck? didn't put his name on the fucking... Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, shit. So... Also, I'm just going to say this, and I don't know if this is going to be controversial or what, but the DEA is wasting so many years and money, like, getting together millions of documents. I don't know. Whatever. Look, the DEA is a joke anyway. Yeah. Well, that's how I'm feeling. Okay, just wait, because it's going to get, like, infuriating. So. Oh, good. She said, Jody said, he got greedy. He probably could have closed up shop in 2006 or 2007, been a rich millionaire, and never been investigated at all. Wow. Yeah. According to the U.S. government, RX Limited earned between $250 million and $400 million a year at its height. But just remember, the U.S. government likes to exaggerate a lot. I remember, like, living in Humboldt, and they'd, like, have a drug bust, and they're like, this is, like, so many millions of dollars of weed, and everyone else is like, and that's, like, three pounds. Yeah, like, what? what are you talking about? <laughs> are you selling that, too? Because, no. Or it's like, that's, like, ten plants. Like, what do you know? <laughs> Biggest like drug bust in the county. Yeah, they, like, pat themselves on the back for, like, minimal stuff. But I'm not, I mean, they probably were making a lot of money. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that they weren't making that much money. I'm just saying, you know. Keep in mind, the U.S. government likes to pat themselves on the back and exaggerate. They do like to toot their own train horn. Toot, toot. (laughs) Choo-choo. So the DEA traveled to Manila. So they're like buying themselves plane tickets to go all the fucking world. Maybe I should become a DEA agent. Man. They traveled to Manila. (laughs) Now I'm just picturing them sitting next to some boxes. I know, me too. (laughs) Like, "Uh, excuse me, the drinks are coming around. Wake up. Wake up. Can you please move? I need to get up and go to the bathroom. (laughs) You know, I should have had the aisle seat. I don't know why you got it. (laughs) So the DEA traveled to Manila in hopes of convincing the Philippine government to monitor LaRue on wiretaps. The local authorities never followed up. Yeah, the investigators. Like, Fuck you. We're not doing what you say. You don't. Own they're like us. he's giving us money. Like no, the investigators had obtained warrants to monitor email addresses being used to contact doctors and pharmacies in the operations network. It was through those emails that the agents discovered RX Limited's customer service centers in Israel. Uh, LaRue had become more ruthless, commanding employees' loyalty through fear and intimidation. But then sometimes his threats backfired. Okay, that was, like, not necessary. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I put that there. This is all mixed up. Okay, I was clearly delirious at this point. And I should have taken the week to, you know, but I didn't. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> he, he funneled his money into hard assets, primarily gold bars. Oh. But, yeah. Which is kind of smart, right? Like, yeah. 
Because that's always going to have value. It's easier to, like, hide gold bars than, you know, transfer a bunch of money all the time. And, yeah, that's not going to lose value at all. Although it's heavy and they're kind of large. Well, I'm just picturing that he's got the one room in his house with him and his servers, another room with his gold bars. Well, remember, (laughs) he has, like, a million houses. That's true. So he could have them stored. And he has people guarding his, like, millions of houses. Mm -hmm. So he's, like, storing shit. They're basically, like, storage yeah. Centers. I couldn't even think of a storage center name. Uh, <laughs> What's the big one you always see? Store. Stormore. Stormore. <laughs> Damn it. There's one right across the street from my work, too, and I see the sign every day and I can't think of it. Oh. Oh, you know what? Yeah. So remember that one episode where there was like a sure stay? Episode of what? This one stayed at of our show. And you were like, oh, they stayed at a sure stay or whatever. And we're like, oh, oh yeah, 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 sure, yeah. sure stay. stay. I drove by one like shortly after that. And I was like, sure stay. Oh, it's like a sure stay. Oh, it's a sure stay. I don't know. You know? I don't uh, know. I anyway, still think I it's like funny. sure stay. Yeah, no, I do too. <laughs> oh, was it when you were okay. like uh, in Oregon? Or do we have them in California? No. I think, it, no, it was in California. Huh. Gonna stay at the sure stay. We gotta stay at the sure stay. <laughs> Sure, we'll stay. Sure, stay. He was also investing in diamonds Hmm. and small round granules of silver called grain. Uh, okay. So gold, silver, and diamonds. Well, I mean, I don't like the diamonds thing because that's, you know. Blood diamonds. Blood diamonds and the cost. (laughs) Like diamonds Well, and he's from Africa. He's like from Africa. Exactly. Like where so you, you get know your you're getting soon. exactly. You know you're getting them mm-hmm. from fucked up situations. And he probably like owns a diamond mine. Probably. And it's like you know, all of which was stored in Hong Kong before mm. being shipped to the Philippines, where it was delivered to Larue. In 2009, Doran Zv Shulman. He was 23 and just out of the Israel Israeli army. Mm-hmm. When a friend from his former unit told him about a security job in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. So he was a dual Australian-Israeli citizen. He came to Israel for military service. Shulman's initial job in Hong Kong was to guard properties and valuables owned by LaRue, for which he was paid $5,000 a month just to, like, chill at this guy's gold house, you know? Shit. (sighs) Yeah. Before long, however, he became one of LaRue's point men on the ground, conducting transactions for at least 10 of the shell companies, which at one time held some $220 million between them. Could you imagine, like, you're 23 and you're, like, just out of the army and, like, oh, I have this, yeah. this job you can do. Like, okay, I'll do it. Sure, a job. I'm getting paid 5000 to just sit here and watch just a hang house? Just Hong Kong. Yeah. What? Fuck. Yeah. I know. Over three and a half year period, three of those shell companies acquired $30 million in one kilogram gold bars from Metalor Technologies, a Swiss gold dealer housed in a glass tower. A glass tower? Yeah, I what don't the know. Hell? <laughs> Man, those Swiss, like, they're fucking ritzy as fuck. They do Sitting up like... there in a glass tower dealing gold. <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing is like so a fucking nice. <laughs> movie. It's I know. so ridiculous. So LaRue owned a collection of houses and condos in Hong Kong, too. And those were used almost exclusively to manage his hoard of precious metals. Oh, he's like an evil God. villain. <laughs> so those are the houses that he's just got the stacks of gold and the yeah. barrels of his 
silver grain and his and barrels of diamonds yeah so each house contained a safe where the gold silver and diamonds were stored until they could be relocated to the philippines sometimes the entire safe would be transported by boat other times bags of gold bars were flown by private plane back to manila that's gotta be so much weight (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) In January of 2012, that's why you have to hire the ex-military men because they're beefed out. Like, yeah, like, carry these duffel bags full of gold from, bars. Yeah, and you got to get them fresh from the military too, because then you know Can they've you been working out every safes? day. I, yeah, I that's can't right. even imagine. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. So in January of 2012, Shulman hired a 27-year-old man named Omer Gavish to guard a house in Hong Kong. After four months in Hong Kong, Gavish had to renew his tourist visa. So Shulman brought him or bought him a ticket back to Manila. When he returned on May 1st, Gavish found that his post had been taken by another Israeli. Mm. So Gavish called Shulman to straighten out the issue, but Shulman disappeared. What? Mm. LaRue had made two short visits. So this is so now we're doing something else. Oh, okay. no. I know. Okay. okay. So this is still basically we're going to get to the bottom of how the DEA took him down. We're still like on that train, mm-hmm. but this is more background information. So LaRue had made two short visits to Rio in 2011 and 2012. Okay. okay. In Brazil. <laughs> right. Before settling there permanently in May of 2012. He was joined by several Israeli associates who brought along, who he brought along. And he also brought one million dollars in american currency in cash yeah i guess so (laughs) in in 2011 he registered rainbow force a company purporting to have 10 employees and provide customer programming services larue had bought a pair of luxury apartments he lived in one with a filipino girlfriend cindy kayanan and their newborn son along with a nanny and the other apartment was for a Brazilian mistress with <laughs> whom LaRue had reportedly fathered a child oh, soon after my his arrival. God. Does this sound familiar, though? <laughs> oh, Fathering a Brazilian God. child. So, as we know from a previous episode with, uh, I was going to say Paul Hollywood again. No. No. Uh, Jesse don't James stop Hollywood. Bringing him in this. <laughs> Jesse James Hollywood. So, remember. Oh, and then the other one. Um, the kid who killed his parents and disappeared and he went to Brazil and apparently fathered a child because in Brazil right. they used to have that law where if you father a child with a Brazilian citizen, you can't be extradited. Right. So LaRue did just that. Shit. However, what he didn't know was that Brazilian law allows authorities to obtain an informal wiretap for several weeks without a warrant <laughs> and then use that evidence to file for a fully sanctioned surveillance. Uh, they can just, like, casually wiretap you until they get enough evidence to, like, actually wiretap you. Wow. That's fucked up. Yeah. That's so insane. fucked up. Yeah. So through that wiretapping, in April of 2012, they heard either LaRue or an associate discussing a large shipment of fertilizer passing through Hong Kong. The agents tipped off the Hong Kong police, who raided a warehouse in Suen Wan, north of the city. 
There they discovered 24 tons of ammonium nitrate fertilizer Uh divided into 960 bags labeled as sodium chloride. This was enough to create an explosive 10 times bigger than the one used in the Oklahoma City bombing. Fuck, that's a lot of manure. Shulman's name was on the warehouse leased and the shipping documents of the fertilizer. So on April 30th, 2012, the cops converged to the office of Ajax Technology and took Shulman into custody. His apartment, they found in his apartment, they found bank records for other LaRue front companies, the deeds to the UN long property and another stash house and five kilos of silver grain. Shulman's lawyer would Shulman's lawyer would later argue that because of Shulman's military background, he was trained to follow orders without any question. So remember, Shulman had disappeared, and this is why, because he was arrested. And I guess LaRue's wife, she liked to invest in property, and he would get mad at her and be like, no, because... Like, we need to be investing in gold and shit. You can't keep spending money on property. Like, fucking stop. I mean, so anyway. we have property everywhere. Where else do Every you want fucking where? Everywhere. Yeah, I don't wow. know. And then I don't think I wrote this, but later on they say that he, the fertilizer that he bought wasn't actually, like, explosive. And he may have been. Duped. Um, yeah, he may have been duped into buying the wrong fertilizer. Well, anyway. yeah. It's like, I mean. It's kind of a red flag when your business is all online and then you're getting a shipment of fertilizer. You can't really be like, oh, it's for the the farm or garden. In Somalia. But he abandoned the Somalian farm. So, yeah, he's got no no room to stand on. Well, he also tried to buy a bunch of property in. Oh, I forget where he tried to buy a bunch of property in some country in Africa to give that land back to white farmers. What? Because, yeah. Oh, yeah, because he's been racist. Taken, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. So he wanted to, like, buy a bunch of land, but then that some, for some reason it fell through and he just, like, abandoned it all, even though he spent, like, millions of dollars in, on <sighs> property. Anyway. So he can't be giving what? it to them, those Fucking farmers. <laughs> so he was following without question, because that's right. what military right. men are trained to do. On May 1st, the day after Shulman's arrest, two Israelis in Hong Kong received a call from their South African boss who told them it was time to liquidate some assets. (laughs) The only problem was those assets were locked in safes inside two stash houses, and neither one of them had the keys. (laughs) Okay. This is, like, the dumbest, like, the only problem was. I thought it was going to be, like... You know, they were under guard of like so something. You know, well, they couldn't get in, or like there was a well. Threat. Okay. First, they tried to get into Shulman's apartment, but when they arrived, <laughs> they found it sealed off by authorities. Uh oh. So not only did they have not have the keys, but well, I, I, I'm psych. I'm, I think I'm psychic. So then, at the other property, since they didn't have the keys, they had to go to a hardware store. And then they bought some <laughs> metal cutting tools, <gasps> and then they got to work. So at the UN. Wong House, no, that autocorrected. At the UN Wong House, they Wong House. house. Yeah, <laughs> no, they found that the safe was embedded into a wall. Wow. So using a crowbar, they pried it free, and then they cut a hole in the back, and they found 181 gold bars, which they placed into a duffel bag. 
All I'm saying is, if you can cut a hole into it, the back yeah, of a safe, it's not a very secure it's safe. It's not a good safe. Yeah, it's not a good. Maybe safe. they that, that's why they had to like bolt it into the wall because they were like, yeah, for oh, sure. Does anyone but else notice that the out? back is made out of paper? <laughs> Maybe we should really secure this into the wall. <laughs> but then all you need is a crowbar to pry it out. It's not great. It's not so, a great design. <laughs> not at all. You'd think with all that money, you could get like a legit safe. But, you know, you want to save that money. You don't want to spend it all on a safe. <laughs> That's true. Because then you have nothing left to put in the safe. Right. That's right. right. It's catch 22. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, by May 2nd, those two Israelis um, and possibly two more. Did took... you say Israelis? Israelis. Okay. The two Israeli men who mm-hmm. like broke into the one house. Yep. And then there are also one or two other guys that may have been working. They got 342 gold bars worth around 20 million dollars and then they checked into a youth hostel what which was like one of the cheapest parts uh in like a bad part of town it's like literally a place that you have to you have to bring your own lock for the lockers because like yeah and they have 342 gold bars Why the fuck them. wouldn't you just stay in a nice hotel because he didn't have the money to pay for them to stay in a nice hotel what <laughs> Okay. Like, do then... you accept gold bars at this hotel? <laughs> so then they unloaded 85 of the gold bars, mm-hmm. and then 32, and then 64, depositing over $9.4 million into an account of SciCom, a LaRue-controlled company. Okay. So they're, like, funneling money. So they're I mean, they're, like, laundering money, right? Bringing them into, like, banks? Like... I... I guess so. Okay. And they're like depositing them into yeah. his company account. Something like that. Here, can we like no. deposit these 85 gold Hi. bars into yeah. this? Account? You don't know us and we've never <laughs> deposited at this branch, but we happened upon 85 gold bars. I know you know that we just usually stay at youth hostels and would never have this money on our own, but uh, yeah, it seems totally legit. <laughs> yeah. So the police obviously tracked the men around the city as they're like driving around with these gold bars and trying to like deposit them in banks just like breadcrumbs yeah the car's like way low to the ground like hmm with like these four beefed up israeli dudes like dragging a bag towards the bank (laughs) (laughs) it takes all four of you to carry it yeah yeah not suspicious at all So at 2.45 in the morning, let me tell you, one of my pet peeves, I don't know if I've told you this before, but when people say things like 2.45 a.m. in the morning, Yeah, it's like ATM machine. It's like, choose one, you know? Yep. Yeah. Unnecessary. (laughs) Unnecessary. Super unnecessary. (laughs) So at 2.45 in the morning on May 7th, they were arrested. In their possession were five bags containing 161 gold bars. Plus four five carat diamonds and the receipts from the previous day's sales as they were like going around <laughs> depositing money. Sure. So they didn't even get like the, they got like, they still have a shit ton of gold bars. <laughs> so three days later, LaRue's wife, Lillian Chang Yuan Pui, was arrested trying to enter Hong Kong on her Dutch passport, carrying a bank slip for $300,000 transfer to SICOM. So they're just like unloading all of this money into SICOM. Mm -hmm. From Rio, LaRue was making plans to send 200 kilos of cocaine on his ship called the Jerev 
to buy to a buyer in the South Pacific. So LaRue and his associates bought the boat. This is like something else is happening simultaneously. They bought a boat and mm-hmm. transported it from the from Panama to Ecuador. Mm-hmm. And then he arranged to bribe Ecuadorian Coast Guard officials. And the boat was named Le- Jarev, which is French for I dream. Huh. And it was listed for sale in Panama for a hundred and five thousand dollars what he got a boat just to bring down there to sell no because he wanted to send cocaine oh so he did 200 like, kilos of cocaine so he, did like so he went he sent them down and then sold wanted to sell the boat no 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 he bought it oh so it was wow. for sale it was for sale by this cu- couple who like bought their dream boat because they were gonna like sail whatever and they like sailed around and named it like the dream or whatever or i dream and they sailed around, and then they, like, ended up in Panama, and they're like, we're going to sell the boat. We don't need it anymore. Okay. So then he sent someone down to buy it for $105,000, mm-hmm. and he was going to ship his cocaine. Okay. So this new venture had made him a narco-terrorist in the eyes of the U.S. government. Oh, shit. So originally, he was just, like, you know, shipping uh, prescriptions, and now all of a sudden, he's, like, into big, big drugs. So in <laughs> Ecuador... DEA agents distracted the crew of the Jarev, which I don't think I'm saying that right. So they were and like in bikinis, like, look at us, look over here. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> like, what? Why are there all these burly men in bikinis? So then they placed a tracking device on the craft before it departed as they're like distracted. And then they got two people to sneak on. They like smack some like Slap tracking devices tracking on there. On. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but as the boat neared the Cook Islands in late September, the tracking device failed and it disappeared from the agency's radar. It like so just you see what I mean? Off. Like the DEA <laughs> is just like throwing money at shit and it's like not sticking. It's like, okay, well, let's try this thing. Let's send people down to fucking Ecuador and like try and, you know, that's oh, just stupid. Okay, so six. Okay, so then when LaRue went to, uh, Liberia mm-hmm. to do the like because remember the the Colombians wanted to try the meth ah. so we had to bring over some meth to the Colombians in Liberia okay <laughs> that's right. where they were that's, gonna have their meth factory their meth fa- oh yeah the right that's their meth meeting place they arrested Larue oh. um, the Liberians so no the it was all a ruse it was actually oh. all a, a dea ruse oh there so were the DEA, no there were no colombians making meth no in Liberia? <laughs> no so the dea came up with a scheme to lure him abroad so they could arrest him because when he's in brazil they can't get him right right because they can't extradite him so their ruse was a meth oh, chemicals for cocaine deal with the colombian cartel the colombian cartel was fake and the associate was coached. He bought a, so LaRue bought a plane ticket to Monrovia, and then he got there on the 25th. The next day, he was swept up by Liberian police. Uh-huh. His first response was to offer a bribe to the Liberian police, but that didn't work. I mean, and they it's probably worked everywhere else. Where he's, well, yeah. You know. That's why he's doing business in, like, the Philippines and shit, you know? Yeah. So... They immediately handed him over to the DEA agents, who explained that he would be taken to the United States, and he said, I apologize in advance, but I do not want to get on your plane. And then he made himself as heavy as possible. (laughs) He just, like, faints. (laughs) 
You can't make me. Be like, God damn it! Oh my god, use your and legs. He's heavy on top of that. He's fucking so. huge. He's huge. So halfway to the airport, however, he said that he was no longer going to resist and that he would cooperate. So um, after he's just being like dragged, he's like, okay, there's no more clothes left. It's all been dragged off me. I'll stand up now. Yeah. So, six weeks after his arrest, two recreational divers found the the boat. I'm not going to say the name again. <laughs> they found the boat, I Dream, mm-hmm. washed up on a shallow reef in the northern part of Tonga. So, remember, they lost the boat. They yeah. couldn't find it. And then, all of a sudden, two divers found it. At the helm was the badly decomposed body of a man. Uh-oh. Inside the hull... Not the hull, the hole, the hull, the whole hull. Inside they, that whole hole. They found a pile of clear garbage bags filled with dozens of neatly wrapped brown plastic bricks. All told, those bricks contained 204 kilos of cocaine worth over $120 million on the streets Shit. of Australia. The authorities... Uh, suspected that that's where they were headed so they were going to like take these the cocaine from ecuador and bring it to australia the tongan authorities identified the dead man by his passport as the second mate a 35 year old slovakian man named milan rinzak and the cause of death was ruled inconclusive they don't know what happened so back to the meth cocaine thing do you know was the cocaine like because it was in plastic bags was it like dry? Yeah, I think it said like neatly wrapped. I think it was like totally fine. Oh shit! Don't I mean? Yeah, it was probably fine. So yeah. now you know the DEA agents are getting high as fuck <laughs> off of that Ecuadorian shit. Yeah, they were like there were three hundred. I mean, two hundred <laughs> bags. I mean, we only found uh two hundred and four. So. Now we're, yeah, going back to the meth cocaine thing. Remember mm-hmm. Joseph Hunter, who was fired and then rehired? Yep. He was assigned to finding men for the meth cocaine trade deal. So LaRue was like, hey, I got this great deal happening. I need you to find some reliable dudes to make it happen. He found a North Korean man who had a factory in North Korea. What? Which apparently North Korea was like one of the biggest producers of meth. And they would like smuggle it over the border to South Korea. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. And then and then like everyone got mad at North Korea. So they were like, oh yeah, we're cracking down on it. But we don't know like I mean it's a good way for them to make it's a good way for them to make money abroad when like they keep keep everything so closed off. Yeah, so they don't know if, like, the government was like, yeah, we're going to get on top of it. And then they, like, put on a show They're of, like, how they raided all They're probably funding it, because these... I, I don't see yeah. how anything can get done if it's not, like, legitimized by the government there. Yeah, so now there's, like, speculation that they, they put on a show of, like, raiding all these places and they just went, like, underground. Yeah. But, yeah, apparently they're producing, that like, a shit ton of meth over like there. seems like North Korea's M.O. <laughs> Crazy. So he, so he found, like a, like, a cook in North Korea... And he also found three men for the job to, like, transfer the meth. Mm-hmm. The Colombians had LaRue's men do a bunch of stuff for them, like surveillance and buying weapons. So this is, like, so they got the big boss, right? The DA has the big boss. And LaRue mm-hmm. is, like, 
pretending that he's like not caught and he's like well i need you to find the dudes for the the meth thing well initially he did think it was like real and he's like i need you to find like a meth guy and then we're gonna try the meth or whatever yeah but but the DEA is like using all this money to like hire these people to do like surveillance and they're like mm-hmm. oh you need to watch the ship and to like buy weapons and shit where it's like where are they getting all this money from, from the, that cocaine. <laughs> no, they're getting it from the taxpayers. We're funding yeah, that shit. because I'm trying to fund this bullshit. Okay, it's the ridiculous. Colombians. <laughs> yeah, so then LaRue informed Hunter that there was a snitch in the operation and that he needed to kill them. Mm-hmm. He sent info on the snitch and a DEA agent that they needed to murder. So he's like, there's a snitch informing a DEA agent. You need to kill both of them. Yep. In early August, they decided to do a dry run of the meth shipment using a container of tea. This is just funny. So their emails in preparation contained an absurd but highly serious debate on which type of tea to use. (laughs) The team eventually selected a cheap variety of oolong since it's just for a test run for the 100 car parts, the Colombians pointed out, and they were going to throw it away anyway. So why get, like, high-quality tea? Um... I just thought that was so delightful. That's the best part. "Mm, I think it should be green. No, no. no. Well, we should get like a really nice like puer. We're like, no, we're just gonna throw it away anyway, guys. (laughs) We're not gonna drink it. Oh yeah, that's right. And also, what a waste of tea. Yeah, why don't they just put nothing and just drive over there? (laughs) Just try it. Yeah, why don't they boat over and see what happens? Just put some sand in. I don't know. Why does it gotta be tea? (laughs) That's weird. Now we're having so a debate weird. about the tea. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's very it's very um, thought-provoking. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so in Thailand, Hunter's team met with the two cartel representatives to finalize their arrangements for the assassination of the DEA agent in the snitch. Uh, even though they'd worked together for eight months, Hunter had the pair searched and took their electronic devices and then insisted that the meeting be held outdoors with extra precaution against being recorded. Hmm. So Hunter is pretty, like, you know, he's good at his job, not like those other two murderers. (laughs) Right. (laughs) In late September 2013, the meth was ready to leave the Philippines. Officers from Thailand's Narcotics Suppression Bureau swept in a few hours later and arrested all five men. Six miles away at LaRue's Lock Palm Villa, Joseph Hunter was awaiting updates on the Liberian job when a dozen commandos from the NSB arrived, led by the deputy police commissioner. As for the men that were going to carry out the hit in Liberia, a group of Liberian police were waiting when they arrived, and the would-be assassins were quickly transferred into DEA custody and flown back to New York. Hmm. That was one year exactly after LaRue had been arrested in Liberia. To the day. (laughs) All the men involved were charged with crimes ranging from conspiracy to import meth to conspiracy to commit murder. So the DEA put up this whole sting to catch these, like, seven dudes. (laughs) And the guys didn't even, like, carry out a murder. They're just like, oh, you were planning a murder of people who don't even exist. I don't know. Yeah. That does suck. (laughs) Yeah. In July of 2013, Hunter was indicted and accused of forming a team of international assassins to murder a snitch and a DEA agent on behalf of a Colombian drug cartel. Even though the whole thing was fake. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's a great story. (laughs) Yeah. I just don't know how it all holds up. It's basically like all these people playing pretend, Mm -hmm. except for like 
in the end, someone's getting arrested. Well, I mean, to be fair, there were a bunch of people that have been dying. There have been a bunch of people dying so far or being killed so far. But granted, but these dudes, but those all they're dudes, guilty of is shipping tea that they weren't even going to drink. <laughs> a crime in and of itself, but like. Really, they should be charged with shipping tea without intent to drink. To dr- yeah, that is a crime. <laughs> So, okay, so Hunter said that he only participated in the murder for hire because he feared for his life. Yeah. His boss, LaRue, set the whole thing up, and he was afraid. I believe that with all the people dying around you seeing, like, okay, well, you don't cross this guy. Also, Hunter and his family had been threatened before by LaRue. Mm. Then all of a sudden, so he's like, I'm not guilty. It's not my fault. I didn't do anything. I was afraid. And then all of a sudden, he pled guilty. Suspicious? I think so. Well, although sometimes it's... The evidence is kind of... Yeah, you're like, well, I either plead guilty and just take it, take the sentence, or have a jury sentence me guilty and give me more time. Right. And based on recordings, prosecutors believe that Hunter had previously committed acts of violence for pay, including, among other things, arranging for the murders of the two female real estate agents in the Uh, Philippines. Okay. Well, you can just eat a dick and die. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> LaRue was assigned a court-appointed attorney and placed into secret custody in New York City. Can you imagine being that court-appointed attorney and being like, this is a villain from a cartoon. Uh, can I have a real case, please? This is unbelievable. He's a villain from like fucking a Bond movie. I am not qualified. So the day after his arrival, he signed an agreement stating that his intention was to plead guilty to the methamphetamine charges, which granted him immunity against all other crimes that he might admit to. Mm, Yep, that's why he pled guilty. And then he promptly admitted to, among other offenses, arranging or participating in seven murders. Why did they give him this deal? To get the big da- to get the big dog. No, no, this is LaRue. Oh. This is the deal that they gave LaRue. Oh. <laughs> what? Uh-huh. So LaRue had quickly trans- transitioned from ki- kingpin into informant. It was obvious that my situation was a bad situation, yeah. was all he would say, <laughs> when later he was asked in court why he'd flip so easily. Through at least mid-2014, LaRue was essentially an undercover DEA operative in the U.S. What? LaRue's entire case file remained sealed. So did significant portions of the prosecution against Hunter, his team of would-be assassins, and the group of LaRue functionaries arrested for trafficking North Korean meth. So this is why I've never heard of this before? Yeah, so soon many of those cases ended with guilty... Obviating the need for LaRue to ever testify. Wow. So that's why I'm saying it's like, so originally Hunter was like, I'm going to fight this because I was only acting under orders of someone else. And then they're like, oh, just plead guilty because we don't want LaRue to testify because we're protecting him for some reason and only charging him with the meth deal. Sounds like they were getting something out of it. Yes. Yes. This is why the government is so fucked up. So in 2000, this and this gets worse. So in 2014, Moran Oz... The guy who was running a call center, remember Mm -hmm. him? And Mm -hmm. he was just trying to get, like, the severance pay for all of his people. And, you know, 
He was arrested in Romania after he agreed to meet with LaRue to get the rest of the money that he owed the people who had worked for him at the call centers two years earlier. He had been fighting for two years to get this money to these people. Then finally, LaRue's like, oh, come meet me in Romania. Like, no big deal. And then he was arrested. Set up by LaRue. Yeah, he was set up by LaRue and the DEA. He was charged with 83 counts of prescription drug crimes and wire fraud by the DEA. This man, who is just running a call center, <laughs> so he gets 83 counts, and LaRue just gets, like, a meth charge when he was the one who was orchestrating the whole thing, and this guy is just, like, doing his job. Fuck. I, so I he spent... They, I wonder what he had on the DEA or something, or, like, what, I know. what the deal is. So he spent two months in an overcrowded Romanian jail. His only contact with the American government was through the agents who had questioned him briefly after his arrest. So they just go and question him and then arrest him and then throw him in a Romanian jail, which is, like, fucking awful. And then on the last day that he could be legally held in Romania, a judge overruled Oz's opposition to extradition and he was put on a plane to the U.S. They just, like, stored him in Romania until they absolutely had to bring him over. Wow. So the case was based in part on communications between LaRue and Oz, who believed that his boss was at large when, in fact, LaRue was in the U.S. custody, calling and emailing at the behest of the DEA. (laughs) Oz's lawyers, Joseph Freeberg and Robert Richmond, did some snooping around and found that the U.S. Attorney's Office had collected some calls and emails between the two without a warrant. (laughs) So So the lawyer filed a motion to have the material suppressed. Right. The government... So he did this because um, he, the the lawyers wanted LaRue to testify. They didn't know why he was being so guarded by the U.S. government. Nobody knew where he was. Yeah. He was, like, very secure. And the, the lawyers were like, what the fuck? This guy, like, ordered him to do these things, to do hmm. his job, basically. He didn't know that it was wrong, so we yeah. need this guy to come out and testify. So they're like, they had, they had like, an idea where it was like, okay, well, he didn't say that these communities communications were like okay and in the u.s you have to have at least one person consent to um a conversation being recorded depending on what so sorry but i'm pretty sure it's depending on what state you're in right but i think with the federal government oh yeah they can't just record so for no reason so he so he filed the motion, and then the government produced statements from DEA agents claiming that LaRue had given his permission uh-huh. to have the conversation monitored. So Richmond and Fried- Friedberg argued that LaRue himself needed to testify to that, and the judge overseeing Oz's case agreed and ordered the government to produce LaRue. Huh. Which, like, finally, yeah. because Oz wasn't going to plead guilty like everyone else. Like, LaRue didn't have to testify. Yeah. So the U.S. Attorney's Office created a fake arrest record for LaRue what? for selling cocaine so that he could be transferred to the local jail because they're trying to protect him. What the hell? LaRue's lawyer filed an emergency motion to seal the courtroom. In a sealed letter to the court, the lawyer argued that LaRue's family would be put in jeopardy by allowing the media to report on the proceedings. They're just doing whatever they can to keep him, like, a secret. Yeah, what the hell? Why? I don't understand what yeah. he has. Well, I know. So LaRue faced... Paying them off? I don't know. I don't know. So LaRue faced two indictments. The first one was in New York, where the man, where the main charge was conspiracy to import meth to the United States, a product of the fake drug deal that he tried to pull off in Liberia. And in Minneapolis, he was accused of violating the FDA 
wire fraud and money laundering in connection with RX Limited. I mean, is it just that that's he, what they had evidence that they could charge him with? No, he well, no, because they made that deal with him. Right, and then he confessed. So, so yeah. the morning he arrived to New York in New York, Larue signed a proffer agreement, which allows individuals to admit wrongdoing without threat of prosecution. <laughs> So that's what he did. He was like, okay, well, I did the meth thing, and then I'll sign this agreement, and I will admit to hiring people to kill seven people, not to mention all the other shit I was doing, like, not to mention the war that I caused in Somalia. Like, what the fuck? Shit. So the DEA should not be allowed around computers. No, (laughs) this guy shouldn't be allowed around anything. So the DEA immediately put him to work concocting deals with the new partners from South America. LaRue was an enthusiastic participant. He said, or they said, he clearly considered himself to be the smartest person there. He was clearly trying to provide information so that he would not spend the rest of his life in jail, which he should. Like, what? So, in three years, LaRue's handiwork generated at least 11 arrests in addition to Oz's, which I don't think Oz should have been arrested. No, it doesn't sound like he did anything wrong. No, the DEA picked up at least seven more without his direct involvement. So they didn't even need, like, Oz and the former employees of RX Limited had been indicted in Minnesota, where they'd be prosecuted by Linda Marks from the DOJ's Consumer Protection Branch. The five defendants, the five defendants whom LaRue had coaxed into supplying North Korean meth to a bogus Colombian cartel would be prosecuted in the Southern District of New York in Manhattan. Mm Mm-hmm. The participants had been told that any drugs would eventually be sold in New York so that the U.S. were sure to have the jurisdiction to prosecute them. So as they were doing the deal, they're like, these are going to New York. Hey, did you know these drugs were going to New York? Hey, P.S., the drugs are going to New York. And they're like, okay, we got it. (laughs) So the DEA had captured the person that they were, like, after for years and then they spent several years and so many resources setting up the people beneath him. Which it's like, why? Without him, these people wouldn't be doing that shit. Yeah. You caught him. Why are you spending like millions and millions of dollars to set up this poor man who's just trying to get severance pay for his employees? Yeah, and it like, sounds like why are you trying the, to set the majority up these... of the people are like, you know, fresh out of college or out of the military and looking for some kind of job. And it's like, oh, yeah. someone knows someone who has an opportunity. Why wouldn't you check it out? <laughs> yeah, and it's like they said that um, RX Limited and all of his like prescription drug whatever was like pretty responsible for a large part of the opioid epidemic in the United I States because people that. could just like buy fucking opiates. But it's like without him, these people wouldn't have been doing it. Yep. So yeah, in... he, he's the mastermind. Yeah, so they just wasted like millions of taxpayer dollars. Like I don't want fucking Oz to be arrested. Oh, I don't care. So, in 2014, the anonymous developers behind TrueCrypt, the decade-old, unbreakable open-source disk encryption software originally based on LaRue's code, had suddenly announced that the technology was no longer secure. Hmm. So, is that why they're, like, keeping him a secret? Because they don't want people to be able to encrypt shit, and they wanted him to, like, destroy the encryption software that he created? I would believe Because he's, like, the only one who could do it? The government Super wants in on sketchy. all our shit. Yeah. No, I would I yeah. would believe that 100%. Because they're already yeah. spying on us. Like, call me a conspiracy theorist, but they're already spying on us through our phones No, that's and not a conspiracy. Computers. That's, yeah. like, common knowledge. Right. So, yeah, I would believe that. that. They make a deal that he, 
gives them like the back door to all the encryption codes or whatever or makes it so that things can't be encrypted. So the other the other possible reason that the US government may have given him such light deal was because LaRue also sold or at least claimed to have sold some sort of missile guidance systems to Iran. What? So the US government and he promised the US government information about his Iranian contacts. You know, if he's selling programs and stuff and they want to be able to like crack the the codes or whatever. Yeah. Like that's the only reason why they'd give him such a cushy deal. Yeah. Right? Cuz yeah. like and it's what like, the fuck? Embar- like, oh, they have to have, they can't just arrest him, this big guy that they've been looking for for years, and then give him a cushy deal without like it being like, oh, but we arrested, you know, 50 of his oh, he associates. Helped us catch like 11 people. Yeah. And it's like. Big fucking deal. They're hoping those 11 that people, people didn't deserve it. No, they're just. So like of those people, Charles Schultz, the pharmacy guy and other pharmacists, mm-hmm. they were also arrested where it's like, I don't fucking want pharmacists arrested. Like. So what? Maybe they thought it was like a little bit of a sketchy deal. Big fucking whoop, you know? Right. Who cares? Right. I don't know. No, I don't. I don't know. I'm just I, like, I agree. I'm just pissed about where our tax pay, our tax money is going, where it's like, I have to pay you guys money from my own pocket so you can fly around the world and set up pharmacists and fucking call center managers. Like, oh my God. fuck you guys. Don't even it's get bullshit. Don't even get me started about the Blue Angels that fly around San Francisco for a week that costs like a million dollars each just to fly for like 10 minutes. And it's like, yeah, we're putting all our money into that. So you can yeah. like be like, look at how big my dick is. I fly around in my plane real fast. How about giving us like $2,000 a month since March, since the pandemic started, like every fucking one else? Yeah. Nope. We have to go back to work and risk our lives so that corporations Bullshit. can make money. So back to this. So what now? Part of LaRue's case file was unsealed in March after the St. Paul hearing in Minnesota. His Fate lies with Loretta A. Presca, a federal judge who will decide his sentence. LaRue's possible futures range from life in prison to as little as 10 years. He will not be charged for any of the seven murders he admitted to after signing his proffer agreement. Although the judge is allowed to factor them into a sentence. There's also a chance that he could get less prison time after admitting to seven actual murders than some of his former employees for pretending to murder people like the plot to imagine like to murder imaginary people they will get more time probably than he will for actually having people murdered fuck the government officially about it (laughs) officially the da confiscated three hundred thousand dollars from larue on top of the like 180 gold bar or 161 gold bars that they got in Hong Kong. Yeah. They spent millions of our dollars yep. to get $300,000 and let this guy off. Yep. All because they don't want us to encrypt our information because they want access to all of our information. So. Sadly, does not surprise yeah. me at all knowing how corrupt our government is. Yeah. So that's the bullshit story of this, like, one of the biggest crime bosses of all time. And, of course, he gets, like, nothing. And you never hear about it. 
And you know that he was in, like, protective custody. He's probably staying in a sure stay. And he's probably, like, helping the government (laughs) and feeling all good about himself because he's, like, super smart and the only one that can, like, undo the work that he did. It's, like... Wow. Bullshit. Yep, that's the unbelievable story of the guy that you'll never hear about. Fuck that guy. Right? Wouldn't that have been, like, way big news? This guy is a fucking cartoon villain. But that's, and that's why it's like even more proof him. to me that the government is, you know, benefiting from him. It, yeah. That it wasn't huge news. They want to keep it hush-hush. They don't want people yeah. investigating or looking into it and being like, wait a second, this makes no sense. Yeah. <sighs> fucking crazy. And not to mention, like, all the people who who were like talking about him and they're like trying to share like they were all afraid for their lives so like the journalist who wrote this amazing article which everyone go mm-hmm. and read it by evan ratliff mm-hmm. he interviewed one of larue's relatives he used like a fake name it's like this guy has been searching for him because he just seen like glimpses of the story and he's like what the fuck is happening here like why isn't this bigger news this is yeah. insane and so then he like tried to find like message boards and find out where he was and then this person reached out and they're like hey are you looking for information about Paul Rue and he's like yeah I am and the guy's like well I've known him forever I'm like a relative of his I can give you information and like all these people had gone to like the DEA and the government and been like hey this guy's kind of like dangerous maybe you should look into it and they just like ignored them and ignored them and ignored them and then finally they're like okay well we'll have you like testify or whatever and they like interviewed them briefly but these people like risked their lives to tell about because he knew everything he could tell people he'd be like oh what are you doing here in this country and these people were like terrified of him because he could find out anything about them because he could like do crazy yeah. computer shit and the dea was like oh we don't really give a shit we're just like gonna give him a good deal and these people are still in fear for their lives like if he gets out he could still murder them you know for giving information on him yeah because the dea like, wants to know scary. the dea wants to know when someone's selling an ounce of pot and yeah they'd rather know that yeah someone that's a murderer yeah Ah. (laughs) slash someone who's like mailing fucking you know drugs across the world and tea that they're not going to drink they're not even gonna drink the oolong like what the (laughs) hell come on give it to someone who would appreciate some oolong that was like my favorite part that they had to debate about what kind of tea to use like they're taking their job very seriously oh speaking of tea humblebee herbal has some tea scented soap that you could try out there's an earl gray that smells absolutely delicious and there's also a chai bath fizzy if you're into chai tea it's like lovely check it out amazing check it out humblebeeherbal.com that's humblebeeherbal.com. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. The tossed salad, a scrambled egg. The tossed salad. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. A scrambled egg. So a tossed salad is someone who clearly knows right from wrong and chooses to do wrong anyway. Right, so the tossed salad has more components, the person is able to compartmentalize. And a scrambled egg is someone who can't tell right from wrong and they're just completely scrambled. Just one component, one track mind, they're all kinds of mixed up, there's no focus, they're disorganized. 
Yeah, so uh, this dude, I think, is top. Okay, so then I think it was the like the relative or someone said, like, LaRue was a programmer, so he knew that he was going to get caught. He knew that the end yeah. of this program that he was running, playing with all of his little pawns, was that he was going to get caught. And he was just smart enough to know that when he did get caught, like, nothing was going to happen. Because he held the last card. He was he like, did. I know that they're going to yeah. want a way into people's information. I can give them the key. Yeah, yeah. So to this day, they he's claims that he was not part of True Crypt, uh-huh. and the authors of True Crypt are still unknown. Right. But the fact that he could break that software when no one else could, like yep. he held the key. Yep. And that's so, so fucked up. Like that was our one chance to like, you know. I mean, I'm sure there's like good encryption software or whatever, but. That shit was, like, impenetrable, except for by the creator, basically. Definitely toss salad. 100% toss salad. Yeah, this dude sucked. He knew exactly what he was doing. And the U.S. government, once again, toss salad. Fuck off. You guys know that you're doing wrong. Yep. But they're corrupt. It just all feels like a big game. It's, like, all a big game. They're also the masterminds of, like, corruption and shit. They are. Of that Mm -hmm. huge meth deal where they're flying around from the Philippines to South America to Liberia. Like, they're fucking flying around and doing whatever. and Jetting around on those FedEx planes. Bunch of tea they're not even going to drink. And, like, what the fuck? (laughs) Buckled in with packages. That's right. They're, like, taking packages. Uh, anyway. Mm. Crazy, right? That is insane. If you could follow what I was saying, <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> I mean, it all leads to one guy who was yeah. literally the mastermind of this whole yes. game of, like, how, how to play to make a bunch of money, but it didn't really matter. He didn't really care so about the, other the money, thing, but it was just, yeah. Well, the other thing about it is he's probably pretty sure he's going to get out in, like, 10 years. Yeah, why he has he be sure? gold bars stashed everywhere. Rumor has it he buried a bunch of gold bars around the Philippines. So people are going around like trying to dig up those gold Fuck. bars. They're yeah, like trying to find be them fun. before he gets out. <laughs> yeah, that's I wish what they there say. wasn't Corona because I'd say road trip, and by road trip I mean let's fly to the Philippines Plane with trip. metal detectors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so people are like apparently running around the Philippines like trying to dig up his gold bars. <laughs> like he for sure. I mean, they got they got a hundred. I'm sorry, they got three hundred thousand dollars, and they got like a f- few of his gold bars. Yeah, he has like stockpiles of shit. You know, he has mi- hundreds of millions of dollars waiting for him when he comes out. Oh yeah, I'm sure Dude's that he's fine. still like. I'm sure that there are still houses that people don't know he owns that are like being guarded, and he's able to pay them off or whatever. Yeah, and he's probably still like sitting in front of a computer, like you know, living his dream life of not having to interact with people, not having to go anywhere, working for yeah. the U.S. government. He's fine. Shit. And knowing that once he's like out, he's gonna you know have hundreds of millions of dollars and then start it all over again. Like, what's he gonna get into now? Ugh. You know. Man, why can't we be smart like that? (laughs) I mean, not the killing of the people and making, you know, other people pay for your crimes. but like computer shit. Yeah, being able to make a profit. (laughs) Because I can't sit and if I sit in front of my computer for like eight hours a day, I get super angry. (laughs) I can't do it. I feel sick. I just don't like it. I can't do it. It's not good for you anyway. It's not. Clearly, that dude went out of his mind. He's, like, crazy. <laughs> I mean, I think that I think that he is a narcissist. I think that he is probably has sociopathic tendencies. 100%. For no reason, because he was, like, you know, 
had a loving family, right. whatever, whatever, but... Right, he didn't have a reason yeah. to go off the deep end. No, but I think that just, like, his superficial charm and just the fact that he can play... But the other part of it is, too, what I was thinking is, like, he's behind those monitors. Mm-hmm. He's not actually, like, murdering people. Well, that's Except what's... for they say that he threw um, the one dude... Fuck, I can never remember his name. Oz. No, oh. not Oz. The other dude that he murdered because he wasn't like oh his number two that he murdered, yeah, yeah. and then got the new number two. Well, they said that he said that he threw him off the boat, and then everyone shot him, mm. and then he shot him when he was already dead. Mm. Like he shot him in the back or whatever off the boat. Mm-hmm. So like, so maybe he's having like minimal interactions with people, and maybe he's like. Who knows? Maybe he did kill the guy. But it's so easy to, like, kind of disconnect from what you're actually doing. And it's, like, more of a game. You know? It's more of a right. computer that's why there at are that so point. Many, that's why there are so many internet trolls and bullies and stuff. Because it's so easy yeah. when you don't have to, like... You could say anything you want and you don't have to, you know, be accountable for it. You, you're you just, you build up this persona and then you learn, like, right. this person that, like, bullied someone is, like, a 13-year-old kid, like, in their room typing these horrible, horrible things and, like, making people, right. like, depressed. That, yeah. Yeah. It's and, insane. And then he built himself up so much so that, yeah, sure, when he goes to certain interactions and people are fearing him, he can't, like, he's already got that persona in his mind and then people are treating him like he is this kingpin. So, why you know, the confidence yeah. just builds. Yeah, for sure. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So I think that, like, you know, just being on the computer all the time just, like, added to his narcissistic sociopathic tendencies. Yeah. I think that's happening to a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. It's the narcissism, insane. posting pictures of yourself every day. It's like, who the fuck cares what you ate for breakfast or like what you are? I don't know. I hate social media. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's it's too much. I can't handle it's it. Too it's too much. much. Anyway. So. Ugh. Crazy, Yay. crazy. Crazy, crazy. All right. It's my turn. Yeah. I got my information from Wikipedia, New York Post, uh, Murderpedia, thesun.co.uk, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The huge. <laughs> the I'm going to tell you the story about Michelle Notek. Okay. No bells ringing? Not yet. Don't worry, it won't. <laughs> okay <laughs> i thought oh god should i know this do i know her no <laughs> i didn't know about it until i read this article that took me to other articles you know how it goes yeah yeah anyway but she was better she's better known as shelly okay okay so from here on out she's not michelle she's shelly from here on out, I'm picturing her like Shelly from South Park. That's exactly so. what I pictured, just like her just saying her name, <laughs> Shelly. <laughs> Every time I re- read the word, sh- the name Shelly, I hear it in Shelly yeah. from South Park's voice, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> so Shelly was born in 1954 in Raymond, Washington. Mm. She had two daughters, Sammy and Nikki, from two failed marriages... So they're each from different dads, different marriages. And then in April of 82, a man named David Notek met Shelly at a bar 
and he considered her the most beautiful girl he'd ever seen. What'd she look like? She looks like a white woman with like reddish hair, kind of... Strawberry blonde or like red? Mm, Like in between. Yeah, okay. I don't know how much of that was like hair dye or her natural color, but most of the pictures, her hair is kind of a reddish. Anyway. Okay. Nothing to write home about, in my opinion. Okay. <laughs> I mean, to each their own. Yeah, definitely. Everyone finds somebody beautiful. Not the most beautiful girl in my world, but you don't know how small David's world is. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite the dig. Ooh, sorry. Oh. Um, in 1987, she married David, and the two had a daughter named Tori the next year. Mm-hmm. So she likes to have a kid with each husband, I think. It's her thing. I'm not sure. I mean, you got to. You got to. You got to. New relationship, new kid. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's how it goes. But the relationship was unhealthy from the start. Oh, no. Shelly would verbally abuse. <laughs> would, Ooh, would verbally uh-oh. abuse and slap David. But <gasps> he was apparently too submissive to stand up to her. Instead, he okay, or, or he's he was part of an abusive yeah. relationship, yeah. and why would he stand up to her? Yeah, exactly. Whoever wrote that he That's was too so submissive, rude. I was like, uh, just because he's a uh, guy like doesn't domestic mean domestic violence. Yeah, it can happen and to it's men a battered too. spouse. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so he yeah. would allegedly turn a blind eye to the violence, which you yeah, know. I don't think that's what it is, but yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> As the girls got older, the couple began opening their homes to friends and of fa- friends and family who fell on hard times. In nice. nineteen, yeah, so like in nineteen eighty-eight, uh, they took in their thirteen-year-old nephew Shane Watson after his parents couldn't look after him because his dad was apparently in a biker gang, constantly in and out of jail, and his mom was dealing with substance oh, abuse yeah. issues. So not the place for a child. Yeah. Not saying yeah. that Shelly's place was better for a child, but... <laughs> yeah, I don't think that was the place for a child either. Uh-oh. But they took him in. Okay. Um, a couple years later, Shelly's hairdresser friend, 30-year-old Kathy Loreno, also moved in with the Notex after she had a fight with her family and needed a place to stay. So they decided... How big is their place? It's not a huge place. I think it's just a regular house. They're just, okay. you know... They were, so in in exchange or for for babysitting the girls, you know she got free housing and board basically. So it was like a good exchange. Right. Once the two eldest daughters reached adolescence, they too fell victim to Shelley's sadistic ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shane got caught up in the crossfires too because he's about I think he was like a little older than the the two older girls. But he- well, it sounds like she's just beating everyone up, you know. Yeah, yeah, but I, I just meant like, right. Oh, because she doesn't hurt them if they're like little, little? Yeah, right. Okay. So Shelly would force, one of the things that she would do was she would force the, the two older girls and Shane to stand outside when it's freezing temperatures in the middle of the night, naked, and she would douse them in cold water. What the fuck? Sometimes she would make them not only be doused in cold water, but roll around in the mud, and then she would hose them off in the middle of the night the when f- it's freezing temperatures. 
And this was wrong with people. She called this punishment wallowing. Oh, she has a name for it. Yeah. And I mean, there's like no information on her childhood. Not really. Okay. Not that there's any excuse for this. This is like, yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. She would inflict wallowing for such crimes as visiting the bathroom without asking. What is visiting? Like, <laughs> I'm just visiting. <laughs> just going in. Oh, yep. The toilet's still there. It's all normal. Looking like a bathroom. No. Just like that going, is going to the bathroom without asking her permission. Can you imagine having to ask to go to the bathroom every time you have to go to the bathroom? Yeah. That's humiliating and just yeah because you're giving up all your power to someone now like i I just have to go to the bathroom yeah uh one time she bullied her older girls by forcing them to cut off tufts of their pubic hair just to embarrass them Uh and then and then she cruelly laughed when they actually did it you know because she was like you gotta you gotta do it gotta do it and then would humiliate them and then they'd do it and then she would just laugh at them and make fun of them what a piece of shit. Sometimes she would lock them up in the dog kennel or the chicken coop. Mm. She attacked Sammy so often that she wore pants to conceal her bruises from the school teachers. Oh. Um, and during one school holiday, she shoved Nikki headfirst through a glass door. What the fuck? Then she shouted, look what you made me do, as her daughter's face dripped <gasps> with blood. Oh, my God. Wait, this is just, like, during a... This is when they're at home. Yeah. Okay. Ugh. God. <laughs> so, great, great parenting skills. Yeah, wonderful. Shelly would often tend to her daughter's wounds herself, usually to make sure the injuries she inflicted were not easily visible. Mm, great, uh, huh? Uh, yeah. Great. How are you going to hide a fucking cut-up face? Uh little makeup never hurt you. <laughs> Sometimes she would force her eldest daughter Nikki and her co- and the cousin Shane, who were teens at the time, to dance together naked to humiliate them. Why? <sighs> Their adolescence was scarred by emotional and physical abuse. Yeah, clearly. Uh, yeah. Though charismatic Shelly would then sporadically shower the children with affection and yeah, had a knack course. for fooling outsiders. She would make sure that the girls always had the best clothes, the best possessions, always had, like, everything they wanted and needed, but, you know, would get beat to shit. It's called the cycle of abuse. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. She also, I don't know what this means, but it, an article said that she made sure that the girls were attractive and popular at school. So okay. I'm sure she, like, forced them to wear makeup to cover, like, all their bruising and scars and shit. And then, like, you well, know, and they gave had, them like, the, the best clothes. clothes yeah. And, the... like, yeah. Probably, How like, are they, like, the relating best pencil to people, bags. Though? You I know? Don't know. Oh. I, don't, I don't know. I, Unless they're, um, like, thriving at school because it's an escape. Probably. Yeah. Mm. Shelly also... Uh, <laughs> throughout this time would 
say she had cancer, even though she oh, never good, did. Yeah. But she would say yeah, she had course. cancer, and like a, a couple times she would shave her eyebrows off to to be like, oh, this is the effects from the treatment. But she still had hair. So. What a bet. <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> Like see, it starts with the eyebrows, and then, like, I'm not that. Yeah, that's how you really tell when the eyebrows are gone. (laughs) I don't know. What a weird look, too. It's just like Uh, "Mm, I'm just gonna do the eyebrows. Yep. Well, got her some attention. Anyway, she's awful. Remember her friend Kathy that's also living with them at this time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, employing her usual mental manipulation, Shelly. (laughs) initially love bombed her friend Kathy Loreno like you know the cycle goes giving her all she wants and being a good friend like oh we're besties Uh, before she started degrading her and then eventually she started drugging her with tranquilizers (gasps) and withholding food she what the fuck (laughs) She would say, like, when Kathy was like, oh, I want the food, like, I need food or whatever, she would accuse Kathy of binge eating yeah. while sleepwalking. She was like, no, you ate a bunch of food last night when you sleptwalk and ate all our food. She, what the fuck? She forced her to sleep in the boiler room and took her clothes and made her work naked. What is this woman's deal <laughs> with people not wearing clothes? <laughs> That is a good question. She likes... It's the humiliation, I think. It's the being the top dog in charge and getting off on humiliating others. God, she's... Ugh. One time, Sammy was getting off the school bus when one of her classmates saw Kathy outside naked. Um, and Shelly covered her tracks the next day by inviting over the, the friend. Uh-huh, and, of course. And explaining to her that it was actually... Her that was outside, that, that Shelly had been outside that day she saw her naked because she went, she was in the hot tub on their property, but the hot mm-hmm. tub short-circuited, so she had to jump out real fast because, you know, you don't <sighs> want to get electrocuted. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And she even showed the girl a hole in the hot tub where the wires had supposedly caught fire, but she had actually just burnt the hot tub herself to make evidence right. to, to show this girl like no 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 nothing happening here so she had to jump out of the hot tub real quick and stand out in the front yard <laughs> no no she didn't do this she's saying when you saw me the other day it was me jumping out of the hot tub that's the naked woman in the yard that you saw was me no no that's what i'm saying yeah. but then she like she had to jump out of the hot tub and then she just stood in the front yard N- i don't think she just stood there i think she was working Kathy was working, she doing was... something. So she was doing okay, something. So she j- jumps out of the hot tub and yeah. then she's like, goes around oh. to the front for whatever reason. She like locked herself out of the back door or whatever. I don't know. And then she's like, oh, you know what? There's some weeds here. Let me just pull <laughs> these really quickly while I'm out here. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, yep. I'm but just on board. to show yeah. like a simple, you know, who cares what Manipulation. a kid sees? Yeah, like who cares what a kid uh-huh. sees on a bus passing by? That her initial reaction was, "Oh, I got to cover this up by explaining to this child that I was nude because I like this whole convoluted story." Well, I wonder how similar these two women look too, where it's like obviously <laughs> not true. Actually, I mean, I could say similar. That. Yeah, they're both white women. Okay. Um, probably about the same height, like similar hair color. Okay, okay. You know, their faces weren't exactly the same, but, like, 
not like they looked like honestly if i saw them they looked like they could be sisters or related or something okay they're not that incredible you know it's not like one was like from a different right, country right, right. Or, yeah um so incredibly kathy stayed put for five years because she was so terrified of the consequences of trying to escape I'm sure. Shelly and David would hit and slap Kathy. Oh, good. David's in on it, too. Well, you know, he would do it whenever... If Shelly ever told him to do things, he would do them. So, Because from... Well, I mean, I don't know how accurate a mother's tale is, but from later on, after all this goes down, his mom says that he was never a violent person. He was always very, like... Yeah. Just go with the flow. If someone asked him to do something, he would do it. And he was, like, so into Shelly that, like, he would do anything she asked, basically. Well, also, he's been abused for how many years at this point, too? Exactly. So he's so, probably like, he like well, if I'm not going to get hit, I'll hit someone. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, There were numerous blows to the head that Kathy endured. She was often dragged across the ground, pulled by her hair. Oh, my God. She was poisoned. She was forced... Oh, my God. She was forced to submit to bizarre treatments, such as whenever Mm. she would get a wound, they would clean it with bleach and salt. No. 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 And they would make her ingest a bunch of salt and prescription medications. They They forced her to live and work outdoors in harsh weather conditions... With minimal clothing or naked sometimes until she became hypothermic. Poor woman. Yeah, what the fuck? They would starve her and punish her. Sometimes they would, just like the kids, force force her to immerse herself in cold water or mud during cold days. Mm. Um, The children were aware, aware of the abuse and they now live with the regret of not intervening, but they admit now that what? there was little they could do. And they said yes. that the abuse on Kathy took the abuse off of them. So they were, yes, like you said, yeah, more willing to turn a blind eye if it's not happening to them. Plus, what can they do? Well, also, that's just their household. Like, that's yeah. what happens in their home. You get fucking abused. And what are you going to like? You can't do anything about it. Yeah. Um, so what are they supposed to do? Right. Yeah. Uh, Nikki, one of the older daughters, said, if mom was punishing Kathy, she was ignoring us. And as sick as that was, we were glad mom wasn't doing it to us. Yeah. As a result of the abuse, Kathy lost 100 pounds. <gasps> she oh lost her hair her teeth were falling out. Oh, God. And she declined physically and mentally. Um, near the end of her life, Kathy couldn't walk or talk. One side of her face drooped, and her vision had declined significantly. And she was just always covered in vomit. This poor, poor woman. Eventually, Kathy died as a result of this prolonged abuse. Yeah. Um, when Kathy died, Shelly gathered her husband, nephew, and daughters and warned them, all of us will be in jail if anyone finds out what happened to Kathy. Uh, no, that's not true. So, acting on Shelly's decision, 
she told she made David and Shane ba- uh, burn Kathy's body and scatter the ashes. Okay, that's not smart. <laughs> Do you know how hot and how long that fire has to burn? Well, they did it. Wasn't it obvious? Why? To who? Because there's a fire going for fucking days? But they li- they have, like, land. People burn shit all the time when they have land. They have burn piles uh-huh. that, like, keep going, you know? Uh-huh. So they're not in, like, a neighborhood? Um, I don't think it was... It was, like, a neighborhood, but not close housing. Okay. Um. That's awful. <laughs> yeah. So, Shelly concocted a story about Kathy having run away with her boyfriend... Of course. She would repeatedly quiz the children about the story. Oh, my God. How hard is it to remember? (laughs) She generated letters to Kathy's family purporting to be Kathy, so her family would believe Mm -hmm. she was still alive. Did Kathy write letters before her death? (laughs) Uh, Maybe. I'm not sure. Because it was, like, in the 90s, so, like, probably. She probably wrote letters. Uh, Because her family said that they they were... like, yeah, they had, like, the dispute or whatever, and she, whatever, sought out Shelly's home to live in, but mm-hmm. it seemed like she was kind of close with her sisters and her mom. That's so awful. Yeah. She's just, like, down on her luck, and her yeah. friend's like, oh, come stay with me, and then, uh-huh. fuck. Her mom, in 1994, her mom reported her missing. Good. And when interviewed by the authorities... The no-tech stated that Kelly had run away with a truck driver and moved to Hawaii. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. That's on his route. Yeah, he uh, drives yeah. to Hawaii all the time. <laughs> totally normal. <laughs> <laughs> she also maintained that her and Kathy were in regular contact. They talked all the time. So, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I get her letters, like, every fucking day. <laughs> um. Kathy's brother hired a private investigator uh, who... How long had she been missing before the family reported her missing? Do you know? Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but it wasn't... It w- probably like a few months. Okay. So I think she was in contact with her family and they were like, it's been a while since she's talked to us. And the- Also, this doesn't look like her handwriting. Yeah, right. You know, like, you know people's handwriting. Yeah. So the private investigator that was hired by the brother, he concluded that she had most likely been murdered by Shelley from, like, all his stakeouts or whatever he was doing. (laughs) But there wasn't really evidence, evidence, so... I mean, if he could find that out, why can't the police find it out? That's all I'm saying. Well, okay, so this... I was gonna say this, but I don't want to be wrong, but I think... I think the thing was, wherever the mother filed the missing persons report was not in the same jurisdiction as where she actually went missing. Yeah. And there was not really any evidence, evidence that could be taken in, but they were just, like, suspicious of these people. Wait, but but I just feel like if you call in, like, a welfare check or, like, a, hey, someone's missing, the last place they were was here. Right. So then they're just going to, like, take Shelly's word for it. Well, like, look around the house. Okay. She's not here. There's no evidence that she she's here. You know? Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah. they they had they took all her possessions and probably got rid of them before any of that even happened. No, I get it. No, I get it. So, but I just feel like if the PI was like, well, likely, you know. Right. 
But I'm yeah. sure that the investigators thought like, hmm, likely, but we have no evidence, so we can't get a warrant. We can't mm. like search anything. We just have to figure, you know, wait for something else to come up, unfortunately. I guess. Later on after, I don't know why I put this here, but I think it's just because it's about Kathy. I do that like all the time. But I'm like, <laughs> okay, so later on after way down the line when, yeah, you know. Shit hits the fan. Shit hits the fan. They end up in court and stuff. Yeah. Um, David claimed that Kathy died by asphyxiating on her own vomit, but mm. that he didn't take her to a hospital or report her death to police because of the physical injuries to her body would implicate them of, you know, abuse and murder. Right. Sammy, one of the daughters, had said, I, I don't think she meant to kill Kathy. I think she meant to abuse Kathy just like she abused us. She got off on it. She liked the power. She liked doing it, and it got worse and worse. Right. Following Kathy's murder, Shane showed Nikki some photographs he had taken of Kathy in her most dire moments. The Polaroid images showing her naked, black and blue, crawling on the floor, which he planned to take to the police. Nikki, in a move she still finds difficult to explain, but it's like once you've been in that abuse cycle... Uh-huh. You know, she ended up telling her mother that Shane was hiding pictures in a teddy bear. Um, oh, and God. obviously she had no way of knowing what was going to happen to her cousin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shelly became convinced that the, the then 19-year-old was going to rat them out to police. So in February of 1995, Shelly commanded David to kill Shane. Oh, my God. So while David and Shane were in a shed... I don't know what they were doing, getting stuff out of the shed or something. Yeah. David fired one shot into Shane's head. Oh, God. Yep. The 19-year-old nephew who'd been like a son to him, who he'd basically raised for six years, he was forced to kill. Right. So she wasn't worried that the police were going to catch them. She was worried that she was going to get in trouble. Exactly. What a bitch. Poor, poor kid. Uh Uh-huh. Um, David then... And then her daughter, who probably feels, like, super guilty, but it's, like... So, at first, the the daughters didn't know that David killed Shane. Mm Mm-hmm. So... did he move to Hawaii, too? Yeah, he married a truck driver and moved to Hawaii. truck driver lover. (laughs) Uh, So, David burned his body and scattered his ashes into the ocean. Oh, God. David, uh, on a few occasions, would miss work to go on fruitless quote-unquote searches for shane to make it look like you know shane had left you know gone so the girls believe that their father was doing the best he could to find their cousin oh god shelly told the girls that shane had moved to alaska to work as a fisherman oh alaska yeah yeah for years, she manufactured stories of contact from their cousin. So you know how much he loved Alaska <laughs> and how he always talked about his dream of becoming a fisherman up there? Remember how like, many times... did it. You know how you just couldn't get him to stop fishing? Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Never talked about Alaska. Never talked about fishing. Mm-hmm. Anyone that asked about him, she said that he... Oh, he had just recently called me and he was actually really happy with his new life. Oh, yeah, of course. Yes. <laughs> the girl the girl started to doubt uh, Shelly immediate, like, basically when Shane, quote unquote, left because she 
told the girls that, oh, he had presented her with a wooden birdhouse and a note saying that he loved his aunt. And Nikki (laughs) thought that that didn't really add up because Shane hated Shelly, who once bound his Mm -hmm. wrists and ankles with duct tape and applied icy hot cream to his penis. (gasps) You know how much you (sighs) love when your aunt just like tortures you and so you just like i'm just gonna build her a birdhouse and also she like probably didn't even have a birdhouse <laughs> yeah she's like oh where did that birdhouse she's get like, to such a loon what the fuck she probably has a story about what happened to the birdhouse and where it ended up and all that yeah freak accident it's amazing freak it caught accident. on fire it's like the birds rubbed the sticks too hard together <laughs> i don't yeah. know that's so yeah, they should. She should have warned the birds that there's no indoor chimney. They got to make their fire outside. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, after those two deaths, a man named Ron Woodworth or Ronald Woodworth, fifty-seven, he was, mm-hmm. uh, he came to stay with the family in 1999. By that time, Sammy and Nikki, the two elder girls, had moved out, so it was just Tori at home. Good. And um, by this time, Dave had become a logger and a contractor, so he spent the majority of the time away from home. Oh, no. And according to his mom, he really didn't like Shelly and was scared of her, so he tried not to go home as much as he could. But, you know, he would go home on the the weekends or whatever. He was he would work yeah. he worked on an island 160 miles from Raymond so he would spend the week there and then the weekend at home. Friends and relatives of Ronald Woodworth say that he probably met Shelley one day while he was on one of his many walks in the Raymond main in Raymond's uh, main streets or on the main streets mm-hmm. and that they probably just stopped in the streets in the streets <laughs> that they probably mm-hmm. just stopped to chat one day and because he was kind of a talker. Ron grew up in California. He served in Vietnam. He attended the University of California at Berkeley. He was an expert in Egyptology. Mm. He quit a good civilian job with the Air Force in California to move to Wallapa Harbor and brought his parents after him. Uh But uh, many, many knew Woodworth saying that his behavior grew erratic over the years and his hygiene faltered most people concluded Mm. that he had some mental illnesses he wasn't taking care of because he's like highly intelligent but then they're finding him yeah like not making sense and right he couldn't keep a job and he eventually ran out of money he got busted for trying to pass bad checks so in 1999 Mm. he was forcibly evicted from his mobile home in raymond and moved in with his mother. But then after mm-hmm. he met Shelly, they began spending a lot wow. of time together since David was away from the home, just spending a lot of time with... She's got no one to beat up on really right now. Yeah, she's got one daughter and that's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So they spent a ton of time together. He was even helping her take care of her elderly patients. So sometimes she would have... She, uh, yeah, I know. It's a little confusing. Uh, as apparently, I think I mentioned it later on, but she was somehow working for this service to help take care of elderly people. 
but she'd never had a license to take care of elderly people. It was kind of like a weird thing where like if they privately hired her, then she could be in their home to take care of them. But she wasn't licensed in, you know, the country or her state to take care of them. I don't know what the loophole was, but somehow. Well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I th- I mean, you know, because you can become a caretaker for, like, a family member. Right. But I think that you have to get some kind of, like, approval for that. So she had, like, some elderly patients that she was making sure, you know, checking in on, making sure we're okay, I guess. Yeah. His Great. M- She's the one to do it. <laughs> His mother said that their friendship just blossomed. She said that they got along like brother and sister. And soon after they met, he moved in with Shelly. And Great. like mm. any natural abusive relationship, Shelly started cutting him off from his friends and loved ones. She started mm-hmm. verbally abusing him and calling him worthless and disgusting. Slowly, the emotional abuse turned to physical abuse. And Shelly started withholding clothes and food and the use mm. of the indoor bathroom from him. God damn it. He was frequently drugged with pills. How? Ron was also the subject of severe physical abuse. Witnesses described Ron being forced to do chores outside wearing only his underwear. He was forced to drink his own urine. No, no. And he was forced to jump from the second story roof onto gravel wearing nothing on his feet causing broken bones and severe lacerations. Yeah, what? His wounds were treated with boiling hot water and bleach. No. As Tori, the youngest daughter, said, it was like the smell of bleach and decomposing flesh, like it was burning his skin off. He smelled like that for a month up until the very end. Oh my god. Ron eventually died of those wounds. Um, in, uh. in August of 2003, Shelly allegedly hid his, bo- his body in a freezer for four days until Dave, David came home from work. Oh, good. Welcome home. <laughs> I got a project for you. God damn it. David uh, later admitted to burning Ron's body on their property, or sorry, to burying Ron's body on their property, mm-hmm. intending to set the body on fire once the local burn ban had been lifted. oh okay okay (laughs) and shelly told him responsible shelly told uh david that ron had committed suicide by jumping off the roof and putting bleach on his wounds i don't know guess he i mean like you said he's an abuse victim he's not gonna look too far into it no he's not going to but also he's like lived with you you think he's gonna buy that shit yeah (laughs) that's true Mm, no uh eventually when the authorities found his body, they performed an autopsy and his death was m- ruled a murder. Obviously. Mm-hmm. So Tori had had enough of her mother's abuse. She called up her older sisters who had by this time moved out and had been living in, I think one of them had moved to a different state. I think one was living in Oregon. Um, yeah, fuck that bitch. So she called them up and she told them that she's like, she's done it again. She needs to be stopped. Mm-hmm. And the older sisters told Tori that she needed to collect evidence because who's going to believe them? Oh, my them? God. Yeah, but what happened last time that someone collected evidence? <laughs> yeah, just don't tell Shelly. 
The young teen quickly discovered a heap of Ron's possessions, including bloody bandages in an outhouse, and finally the sisters gathered the courage to go to the authorities. They called the police. Tori, who was 14 at this time, was removed by Child Protective Services while the property was searched. After Ron's body was found... Shelley was charged with two counts of first-degree murder in the deaths of Ron and Kathy. David was charged with first-degree murder of Shane. Police in neighboring South Bend said they are reopening an investigation into the death of 81-year-old local man named James McClintock. (gasps) I knew it. Who died while in her care in 2002. Mm -hmm. Suspiciously, he left his entire estate to Shelley. Oh, did he? Oh, hmm. In April 2000, Shelley was hired by the Olympic Area Agency on Aging, an organization that provides home care and assistance for older and disabled adults. She worked in the Raymond case, or sorry, the Raymond office as a case aide, providing information to clients who called mm-hmm. or or came into the office, but never worked as a home care provider or case manager, according to the agency's executive director, David Beatty. Hmm. McCl- so that's where she'd like find her victims and then get hired by them directly? I Well, I think that that's what happened with James. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there were more. Um, Right. So McClintock, a Pearl Harbor veteran, hired Shelley to be his caregiver. Mm-hmm. Within six months, he was dead. Uh, Shelley was fired. Shelley was fired in June of 2001 due to consistently poor performance and for being uh, unreliable and inconsistent. Uh-huh. James McClintock's certificate of death dated February 9th, 2002, indicated that the widower died after a blunt impact to the head. After examining what? McClintock's body, the doctor referred to the death referred the death to the Pacific County coroner, David Burke, who is also the county's prosecuting attorney. Which, like, how can you be the coroner (laughs) and the prosecuting attorney? That seems like a conflict of interest. Look, small towns, you don't have a lot of money. You gotta hire one guy to do all the jobs. That's just how it is. Oh, my God. It was unclear whether the office even looked into the death. Burke could not be reached for comment, and police would only say that they would look into McClintock's death in light of new developments. Even so, police said they don't think they will find anything to prove the man's death was anything but accidental. How? Well, McClintock, who used an electric wheelchair, had fallen before. So I guess they had said it was like he fell out of the chair. South Bend Police Chief David Eastham told the Aberdeen Daily World that... Between a three- and four-year period, McClintock called for aid 70 times from falling out of his chair. 7-0. Yeah, but... No, I get it, but he was still alive after all those times. Did yeah. he have, like, severe head trauma? <laughs> I don't... Or, like, what was... You I know? Don't know. Uh, it's messed up. I mean, I'm not saying... Also, like, where was the blunt force trauma? Like, yeah. I feel like there are ways to determine whether or not that it was It seems very suspicious. Yeah. Given her track record. Yes. His will shows that he left his beloved Labrador, Sissy, in the care of Shelley, who was to inherit his house. Oh, no. And 
some sources say five thousand dollars some sources say eight thousand dollars in cash that he had it's not enough no her boss that fired her eventually said we had no indication we still have no indication that any people who came in contact with her were in jeopardy he said that Uh. mcclintock may have met Shelly at a local service cent- services agency where she worked, and after his death, or, so yeah, that's how she like whatever. I don't know why I just said that. Obviously, but um, yeah. What's more suspicious is after his death that David Notek began using McClintock's social security number sometimes, <gasps> occasionally Ooh. on things. Oh, which is like well, also I feel like. Okay, you fired her because she was shitty at her job, and there's no indication that she'd be shitty at, like, taking care of people? Mm-hmm. Well, because he's, like, on our end, all she had to do was answer the phones and ask answer questions. She We didn't hire her to care for people, but still. No, I know that, but she was shitty at yeah. answering no, the phone I get and that. answering yeah. questions. Yeah. I mean. Uh, yeah. Point taken. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sammy, the, one of the older daughters, said... While I think the murder of Kathy was an accident, Ron was definitely on purpose. It was done in the exact same way. She knew what the outcome would be. So it's like, you did this before, and this is what happened. I just feel like, I just feel like seeing someone, you know, that bad off and mm-hmm. not knowing that they're going to die, like... Yeah. What? Like, you know what you're no, doing. No, you know what you're doing. Yeah. So the yeah. Pacific County deputy prosecutor stated that Michelle Notek showed extreme indifference to human life. Yeah. Michelle was charged with two counts of first degree murder in the deaths of K- Kathy Loreno and Ronald Woodworth. David was charged with first degree murder in the death of Shane Watson, which I had already said before. I don't know why I put this in again. Well, no, wait, wait. I thought she was charged with second degree murder. No, not yet. Oh. Sorry. Did I say second degree? She was charged yeah. initially with two counts of first degree murder. You said that like earlier, yeah. but okay. Whoops. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, David was also charged with rendering criminal assistance and unlawful disposal of human remains. Yeah. Though Kathy's body was never located, but since David later confessed that he disposed of her remains, he got charged with right. that. <laughs> right. And he also did confess to shooting Shane and incinerating his nephew's corpse at home. Ugh. Horrible. During this time, Shelley used the Alford plea. The defendant in a criminal case does not have to admit to the criminal act and asserts innocence. In entering an Alford plea, the defendant admits that the evidence presented... Basically, it's like, the evidence looks real bad. I know I'm going to be charged yeah. with, with that shit, so I'm just going to say, like, I'm going to... En- enact the Alfred plea, which is like, all right, I'll give you a guilty plea, but I'm maintaining my innocence because I know that right. whatever I get from this is going to be less than what you could charge me for. Right. And I feel like they do that a lot for people who clearly didn't do anything wrong, but they don't. But the prosecution doesn't want to admit that they were wrong. Right. So they're just like, oh, we'll just admit that we did a good job, <laughs> yeah. but like that you're innocent. Yeah. And it's like, give us okay, a high well, five. Fuck off. But this yeah. bitch. But she fucking couldn't, they shouldn't have offered her that deal. Right. I don't know why they offered it to her, but I think because they had no evidence that Kathy, of Kathy's death, and they had, like, little evidence of Shane's death, so they wanted to indict them on something. Yeah, I guess. 
On June 18th, 2004, Shelley appeared in Pacific County Superior Court to plead guilty to second-degree murder and first-degree manslaughter. The state agreed to reduce count two from second-degree murder to first-degree manslaughter and to recommend sentences at the low end of the standard range for both counts. Why? The court was... Because, like, even if she takes a deal, you can still recommend that she gets a shit ton of time, you know? Yeah. But then the court sentenced her to the top end of the standard range on each conviction. Oh, good. 164 yeah. months on count one and 102 months on count two to run consecutively for a total of 266 months confinement. Good. Eight months later, in April 2005, she wanted to withdraw uh-huh. her Alfred plea. Oh, why? Because she's like, I didn't do it. She's like, I didn't understand what I was saying yes to. She alleged she had not been correctly informed and that generally she didn't understand the consequences of her plea when she entered it the previous year and that she Uh had been denied effective assistance of counsel. The trial Mm -hmm. court denied the motion. The record shows that Shelley entered the Alfred plea voluntarily. The trial court asked five different times whether anyone had coerced her to enter into the plea agreement, and each time she indicated that she was entering her plea voluntarily. Right. And nothing in the record indicates that her her attorney manipulated her into entering the plea. Malipulated. Malipulated, Shelly. (laughs) 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 But... By failing to inform her that an Alfred plea is not a guilty plea. On the contrary... That's, like, a huge fucking deal, though. Yeah. On the contrary... And she's just bummed that she got, like, fucking life in prison, basically. She got the max. The records show that the trial court specifically asked her, do you understand that an Alfred plea (laughs) Uh is a guilty plea and you'll give up these rights by making an Alfred plea? To which she replied, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Shelley was sentenced to 22 years in prison, but is scheduled to be released in 2022 for good behavior. No. Uh, Manipulation. No. That Day- should not be an option. Right? Like you, no. Mm-mm. You scared No, your whole you life stay. has been bad behavior. Yeah, bad. Like, f- no. No. David, who's now 66, he was paroled in 2018 after serving 15 years. Okay. He works at a seafood processing plant on the Washington coast. Stinky. Stinky. He has kept in touch with Sammy and his biological daughter, Tori, who have said they forgive him. Nikki, however, yeah. won't talk to him because of his role in her personal abuse. Mm. The main reason my mom was able to control David was because, while I love him, he's just a very weak man. He has no backbone, Sammy explains. He could have got he could have got happily married and been an amazing husband to someone because he really would have oh. been. But instead, he just got his life ruined, too. And Sammy yeah. is particularly worried that Shelley would do it again, given the opportunity. 100% she would. Even claiming that her mother was allegedly found to be controlling and manipulating cellmates in prison to the extent (laughs) that she was no longer allowed to share a cell. Oh, but good behavior. (laughs) What the fuck? Yeah, when she has no one to manipulate, then sure, she is fine. But when she's like able to abuse other people like that's not good behavior if you're like setting her up to like not manipulate people so all this stuff came to light i mean yeah there were like newspaper articles and stuff about this case but um 
the sisters, knowing that their mom could be released, have decided that they want people yeah. to know, like, just how awful their mother yes. is and the possibility of her doing it again. So they hired an author. His name is Greg Olson, and he wrote a book. So Greg Olson was able to interview the daughters oh, extensively. Yeah. And he wrote and published a book called If You Tell, A True Story of Murder, Family Secrets, and the Unbreakable Bond of Sisterhood. Wow. Um, so, yeah, the, the sisters say they don't have concerns for their own safety once their mother is freed, but they worry about others. Um, yes. Greg Olson, the author, said of the three women, women, they feel it's their duty to expose their mother's true nature as a predator. Yeah. He, he said, so many things about this case were disgusting and shocking to me, but it was the idea that a mother could do this, even to her own children. Everyone's an object to be played with, to be toyed with and manipulated, and that's Shelley's mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. What's frightening is that there are there will be more people like Shelley Notek in the world, and also people like David Notek who do their bidding, Greg adds. It's out there. It's happening. This case is an example of how you can never know what's happening inside an ordinary house at the end of the lane, or, e- oh, or even awful. next door. Oh, such a scary thought. Isn't that fucked up? So true. Up? Yeah. I really want to read Ew. this book. I, I like... I got to read some excerpts and stuff, and it seems really interesting, but... Yeah, but also, like, so depressing. So depressing. But I I, I like that it's... I mean, I don't like, because I don't like that any of this is real, but I appreciate that it's actually, like, words from the victims so that you can really get a grasp of what exactly is happening. And it seems like these girls have a good relationship with Greg, the author, and so I, I would assume that they approved what he wrote and that it would be pretty yeah. factual and close to yeah what they uh, want their story to be told that's so sad right especially the fact that like the one was like oh he would have made a great husband for someone but he just like met the wrong person that's so sad and that's what his mom kept he saying he never would have murdered anyone mm-hmm. without her his mom was saying never. like he was just like the sweetest like you know just generous guy just loved people just wanted you know to help like he was always like the helper like anything anyone wanted he would do so bad combination awful fucking bad person like what a bitch she's abusive relationships she should be in prison forever and ever ever and ever so if there's any kind of petition going around in washington to release her sign that petition or just like email your fucking governor i don't know tell someone about it like ew it's certainly messed up the tossed salad and the scrambled egg. A tossed salad, a scrambled egg. So, tossed salad. She's fucking a scrambled egg. I mean, a tossed salad. <laughs> I was gonna I feel say, like she knows dang. what she's doing. Yeah. She's like evil. She's, she's just evil. She's definitely a hundred percent tossed salad. Rotten to the core. She just like literally got off on other people's pain and misery and suffering. Sociopath. Mm-hmm. Yep disgusting sociopath she tortured people Uh she tortured a woman for years Years. she tortured her own children for years she tortured her husband for years Mm -hmm. she like tortured some dude for like months Mm -hmm. she killed an old man and she could get out like no yep 
She's diabolical. That's the kind of person that prison is made for. Exactly. Like, lock her up forever. Exactly. Not just these There's no rehabilitating her. drug crimes and shit. Like, who cares about that? I mean, yeah. get the kingpins or whatever, but who cares about low-level people selling drugs or doing drugs? To get or... the kingpins, don't create this whole fucking mil- multi-million dollar, like, fucking international whatever to try and get, like, some dude who's running a call center. <laughs> like the fuck yeah. you got the kingpin like that's who you need to get well, let's give him a deal <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah let's give this bitch a deal even though yeah. she doesn't fucking deserve it and then let her out for good behavior even though we like did uh, we yeah. like made it so that she had to have good behavior because she has no one to interact with like <laughs> no, what the fuck? Right? well she's doing well in solitary confinement so she's yeah. ready for the world <laughs> yeah yeah yikes who cares about the victims that are Shit, still alive? I don't even want to know what plans she's cooking up in there. Oh, uh, Shit. evil. Evil people. Evil people. Sociopaths. Mm-hmm. World's full of them, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> World's run by them. That's true. Fucking very, evil. very yeah. true. Uh, unfortunately. <sighs> all right. Done with it all. Done with it okay. all. Okay. Time for some crime and sakes. Crime any sakes, it's time. And now for the portion that we like to call Crime any sakes, where we tell you silly stories about crime that make you forget the terrible things we just told you. I got this case from what the fluck? It's from WTFFlorida.com. What the fluck? What the fluck? <laughs> what the fine fluck? What the fluck is happening? I hope I didn't read this one last week. Uh-oh. I know. They I all blend in. I'm like, have I read this? <laughs> a Florida man and a Florida woman reportedly had sex in a patrol car after they were arrested yep. for drunkenly riding their bikes. 31-year-old <laughs> Aaron Thomas and 35-year-old Megan Mondanero were riding bikes with no lights in the middle of South Fletcher Avenue, according to an arrest affidavit collected by the Miami Herald. They almost got hit by a car, so the deputy pulled them over. The couple had bloodshot eyes and smelled like alcohol. After being placed in the back of the cop car on DUI charges, the couple started getting frisky. Oh my god! (laughs) In Florida, driving while drunk pretty much merits a DUI even when you're riding horses. Like, you can be riding anything in Florida and get a DUI. Right. And you're like, but the horse was my DD. <laughs> yeah. What? what? <laughs> While I was outside of my patrol vehicle, Megan and Aaron, who had been put in the back seat of the patrol vehicle, started taking their clothes off and having sex, <laughs> the deputy report. Then I o- when I opened up the door to stop them, Aaron was naked and Megan had her pants down. Thomas managed to escape while being removed from the vehicle. He took off and ran to a nearby parking lot. So he is naked now, running to a nearby parking lot. He was later oh caught. He was later caught behind a stole a cold stone creamery, where he earned an extra theft charge for taking the handcuffs with him. <laughs> oh my god! They were both jailed. Mondanero's bond was set at $12,508 and Thomas is being held without bond. Like tr- like a true Florida man and Florida woman pair, they have a rap sheet. Recently, Thomas served 46 days for assaulting a cop. Mondanero recently spent 60 days in a cell for violating parole from a prior conviction. <laughs> mm. I mean, 
Mm-mm. Here's the thing. You you know, you're already wasted. You're getting you're like really into your girlfriend or boyfriend. You're both put in the back of a cop car. I mean, I mean <laughs> <laughs> What are you gonna do? Is it really that bad? <laughs> I don't know. What is he gonna okay. charge you with getting frisky? I uh, you're already charged. You might as well pile them on. Exactly. And for stealing handcuffs because <laughs> it was they were attached to him. Uh-huh. Okay, so I have one. Okay. <laughs> I know. Well, they just add on everything <laughs> they can. This is from Oxygen.com. Man allegedly breaks into coronavirus shuttered restaurant, spends days eating food and drinking booze. <laughs> hey, not bad. Uh Luis Ortiz, or Luis Ortiz, Mm -hmm. is accused of consuming thousands of dollars worth of food and drink at a New Haven, Connecticut eatery that has been closed because of the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, you know, it's been closed. Like, that stuff can't (laughs) stay good forever. You you need fresh stuff when you reopen. Alcohol goes bad if you don't drink it. If the bottle's open, it goes bad. (laughs) So a Connecticut man allegedly took advantage of a coronavirus-related restaurant closure, breaking into an eatery and turning it into his personal multi-day smorgasbord. <laughs> New Haven police say that Luis Ortiz, 42, spent four days gorging himself on the food and drink in- stored inside the closed Sol de Cuba Cafe, according to local newspaper The New Haven Register. The restaurant is closed due to ongoing COVID pandemic and has hit Connecticut and the rest of the country. Ortiz was found asleep in the restaurant <laughs> by responding officers Tuesday morning after authorities received a call about a burglary in, proce- in progress, police Captain Anthony Duff told the Register. Investigators reviewed security footage, which confirmed the initial burglary Burglary occurred several days prior. On Saturday, when Ortiz made entry through a side window of the restaurant, Duff told the outlet, officers learned that Ortiz helped himself over the course of four days to the restaurant's food, so liquor, think, and beer. Do you think that the neighbors reported, like, someone's breaking into the restaurant, and then four days later the cops show up? Or do you think that, like... Yeah. <laughs> there was like oh well because here in addition to eating and drinking at the restaurant Ortiz removed beverages and property from the building oh, so, so he I was think going that maybe they out. saw him like Coming he's in going and in and out <laughs> yeah. I'm not the smartest also I mean he has everything he needs there you know why is he taking just it out? change the locks and make it your new home <laughs> that's right all told Ortiz allegedly consumed 70 bottles of liquor oh, my God. and thousands of dollars worth of food and beverages in inside the restaurant days. at the time of his arrest <laughs> At four days. It was not immediately clear if he had an attorney who could comment on his behalf. Ortiz was held in lieu of a $12,500 bail at the police department's detention center, then arraigned Wednesday. He has been charged with burglary and larceny, both in a third-degree, first-degree criminal mischief and second-degree failure to appear. Shit. Yeah, four days and 70 bucks. <laughs> no wonder he was asleep in the restaurant. <laughs> Do you think he was like chefing it up in there? I mean, that's what I was wondering if they had already pre-made stuff, like but you would ass- a bunch of stuff? you would assume that if it's I don't know. I don't know. They probably got some good stuff going on though. Sounds like Cuban food. I bet it was bomb. Yeah, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Well, I feel like the like they use a lot of fresh ingredients, so really he was just probably Eating all the fresh stuff, you know? <laughs> Helping them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that was a good episode. 
I think. Yeah. Um, well, no, that was horrible. I mean, horrible and all around. Sorry and about it. All around bad. Shame on us for <laughs> speaking these stories again because they're just terrible. Anyway. Also, not promoting, like, you know, breaking into restaurants and stuff because those are people's livelihoods and the small companies are the ones that are really losing out these days. Yeah. So support small business where you can. Break into Amazon. And stop buying <laughs> shit on Amazon, everyone. Let's, Seriously. Let's, like, stop this all together. It's just bad. Buy local. Buy natural. Buy humble. Be herbal. All natural ingredients. <laughs> that are locally sourced and made. They don't get anything from Amazon. It's all good stuff. No. Support your local businesses. Yeah. They really depend on Please support on it. local businesses, everyone. Yeah, they're, especially now more than ever. They're the ones that are really suffering. So, I and mean, also stay... people, we're all suffering. But if you're going to support a business, support locally. Right. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay inside. Stay inside. And good luck, everyone. The world's ending. <laughs> we'll we might, we'll uh, be here do another episode next week. Yeah. We'll see. It's like we'll be here next week reporting about the random tornadoes blowing through California and uh, or uh, the biggest earthquake ever uh, or a volcano erupting or who the fuck knows what's gonna happen. I might be reporting from a crack in the ground next week. Um. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's down there? What's it looking like? <laughs> I found the bars of gold. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Shit. All right. Shit. Tune in next week. And thank you all so much for listening. Please rate, rate review, review, subscribe. Um, and email us anything you want at crimeanypodcast at gmail.com. And check out Humble Bee Herbal. And goodbye. Goodbye. Bye, Mom. Bye, Mom. What the hell is that? He's just banging the jar. Pro say to what? Pro say to it. So, did you do?